giving me an hour or so so that I can get in for a few minutes and then get out. Okay. Yes. Right. Thank you so much. Good morning, CEO. Group CEO. What's happening with Prasa people this morning? Honorable Samia? These Prasa people are you fine. We're okay, Honorable Samia. Where is the chairperson? I'm I'm busy uh, tracking him down. Uh, oh, you are in the broken chair. lane. Broken He's joining tracks. now. He's just a few minutes. Right, right, right. Are we are we there? Are we there? Let's 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 go. All right. On the lighter note, the minister has landed. I think we are good to go. All right, colleagues, let me take this opportunity to welcome you this morning to this meeting of our hearing into PRASA and the annual report and the audit outcomes, which of course had been delayed and have subsequently been tabled. And as indicated last week, it is a disclaimed audit outcome. We thought that um, we should take advantage of the fact that we have been to Prasa, uh, Western Cape and Prasa Gauteng. And uh, given the fact that the oversight was cancelled, uh, well, all parliament oversight was cancelled. Recording in progress. Due to the fact that there is the motion of no confidence tomorrow in the president and in cabinet. Um, and so it was felt prudent that uh, oversights don't meet. So these um, committee time slots then became open. Um, and we thought it's best that we just round up and finish all on PRASA matters. 
um, so that uh, we, we can dispense with them. So I'd like to thank the minister and the and the board for their understanding on what was really a short notice um, invitation to accommodate uh, the fact that parliament had a time slot available so that we could make maximum use um, of it uh, as, as, as well. <clears throat> so I think um, it is in that context because ordinarily we should actually be at uh, ESCOM this week uh, on an oversight visit uh, but because of the reasons I've alluded to, then we didn't. So I take this opportunity then, colleagues, to welcome the uh, minister and the delegation from the Department of Transport. Uh, the DGG is here. Uh, and welcome the chairperson of the board and the board members of uh, PRASA and the executives uh, of PRASA led by the acting CEO, uh, and of course, uh, AG as always, and uh, National Treasury, SIU, who are always uh, present in our meetings. I'd like to welcome uh, all of you. And of course, our ever-efficient um, support team uh, as a committee. Right. So what we're going to do, uh, colleagues, we're going to um, go to Honorable Van Minen, uh, who, and then Ubabu Somio has got um, a, another engagement, so he'll be double packed this morning. So he will indicate, we will accommodate him uh, when he needs to uh, raise his issues. But the hearing this morning is led by Honorable Van Minen and Honorable Hatebe. Um, so they will be leading us this morning. So before we start, I know that um, the minister was with us last week on some of these matters. But I think it's only correct uh, that we give him an opportunity to make introductory remarks on his part if there are any on this matter. And then we dive into uh, the uh, the issues uh, which Honorable Van Minen and Honorable Hatte will be leading, and then we will all come in uh, after that. So, Minister, uh, may I hand over to you? Are there any remarks that you'd like to make? And then Honorable Van Minen, We'll be first off the bat. Babu Somio, you will let us know when you need to make your intervention. Uh, Chola, over to you. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson of the Standing Committee on Public Accounts, Mr. Nkululeko Atlengwa, uh, the Deputy Minister, Ms. Cindy Sachikunga, members of SCOPA, uh, Chairperson of PRASA, Mr. Ramatakani, members of PRASA Port, and the Acting Chief Executive Officer, and the acting DG, Deputy Director General, Mr. Mwakoma um, Kaipia. The annual report, uh, Chair, of the Passenger Rail Agency of South Africa reflects uh, improvement on performance against predetermined uh, objectives. However, an improvement of 11% from 18% to 29% is a far cry from where we should be and replay remains unacceptably low. We must uh, equally take heed of the fact that the reporting period under review covers the period when the onset of COVID-19 pandemic was at its peak and the country was on hard lockdown at level five with travel restrictions persisting on alert level four. The disruption of the pandemic came at a time when Prasa was grappling with the security challenges in its environment, which resulted from the termination of irregular security contracts without a contingency plan 
in place. This left the Prasa environment exposed to criminality that has all but stripped bare its uh, infrastructure. Uh, we have realized the wanton destruction, theft and vandalism of rail infrastructure affected all Prasa business units, severely impacting on plans to resume services when we lifted restrictions on commuter rail and interprovincial traveling. The process of service recovery has been painstakingly slow due to the state of repair of the infrastructure. The recovery plan identified 10 priority corridors for recovery by the end of the 2022 calendar year. We have previously indicated that the full recovery of the central line in Cape Town is hamstrung by the process to relocate the illegal settlements on the rail track and reserve at Langa and Nyanga. The following achievements were realized against the planned targets for the year. 25 out of 35 new trains uh, were delivered. 22 out of 32 signaling commissions were committed, were completed. 14% qualifying small enterprises spending against a target of 15%, 11% exempted micro enterprises spending against 15% target. Importantly, there were no findings on the audit of predetermined performance objectives. Prasa is in a dire financial position as it is not generating sufficient revenue to cover its operating costs. The group has posted a loss of 1.9 billion rand for the year under review. Its operating costs remain high and increased marginally to 15.5 billion in 2020-2021. This is against the backdrop of fair revenue, which declined by 900 million, mostly due to network and train unavailability due to COVID-19. Uh, restrictions and uh, infrastructure damage. As a consequence, Prasa has uh, become dependent on the subsidy in the form of operational and capital grants. Prasa's audit outcomes have stagnated over the last three years. The entity has once again received a disclaimer from the Auditor General this is an untenable situation that is receiving our urgent attention. The AG has highlighted a number of root causes for the audit outcome, which include inadequate governance records, instability in key positions, poor financial management, discipline, lack of compliance, monitoring and enforcement, lack of consequences management, lack of effort to resolve matters related to process financial viability and that of its subsidiaries. Inadequate oversight, inadequate financial reporting processes, including reviews and the ineffective audit finding action plan. We are deeply concerned at these issues highlighted by the LG because we believe these are issues that can be resolved speedily through decisive intervention. We are pleased that Progress has been made with stabilizing the management cohort through a recruitment process and implementation of a new organizational design. We are also beginning to see progress with consequences management across the organization. The implementation of the special investigation unit recommendations 
following investigation on irregular expenditure, mainly arising from irregular procurement processes, give us comfort that consequence management has been internalized to become part of process DNA. The IU identified 44 employees against whom disciplinary action should be taken by PRASA. 33 of the 44 are still in the employ of PRASA. In implementing consequence management, the 33 have been grouped into categories according to seniority level and significance of findings against them as follows. Priority one, employees are members of senior management. 14 of the affected employees fall within this category. All of these employees have been placed on precautionary suspension and their disciplinary cases are at an advanced stage. Priority two employees consist of junior managers, specialists and middle managers. 10 of the affected employees fall in this category. All these employees have been served with letters indicating intent to subject them to disciplinary processes giving them an opportunity to make presentations as to why disciplinary action should not be preferred against them. Priority three consists of junior officials. Nine of the affected employees fall in this category. These employees have also been served with letters indicating intent to subject them to disciplinary processes, giving them an opportunity to make representations as to why disciplinary action should not be preferred against them. Irregular expenditure remains a serious cause for concern. While we have noted a significant decline from 3 billion to 1.3 billion, the quantum of the irregular expenditure remains unacceptably high. In 2019, it was 3 billion and dropped to 1.3 billion in 2020. We have made a commitment in our performance agreement with the president to dramatically reduce irregular expenditure in all our entities. It is for this reason that we want PRASA to implement measures that must deliver this reduction. However, our main price is the complete elimination of irregular expenditure. If the internal control environment is as robust as it should be, then it is possible to eliminate irregular expenditure. This is an area we are keeping on the radar as it also affects the minister's performance. In the same vein, we have committed to 100% elimination of fruitless and wasteful expenditure by 2024. In the year under review, fruitless and wasteful expenditure in CAT stood at 48 million rand. Our target is to reduce this type of expenditure to zero. The quantum of deviations, variations, and expansions at PRASA are a source of concern, as this indicates poor planning on the part of management. However, we do appreciate that sluggish pace at which PRASA has been implementing its capital program exacerbated by the onset of COVID-19 pandemic has created a need for PRASA to play, catch up and accelerate its spending on capital projects. Despite this, we want PRASA to work smarter rather than expose the entity to unmitigated risks. While the board has implemented some initiatives aimed at strengthening the internal control environment, these remain weak and ineffective. We have directed the board to build the necessary capacity to address the deficiencies to ensure the robustness of internal control. In conclusion, Chair, significant strides have been made 
post the reporting period with tangible progress in the infrastructure rehabilitation and upgrades which has enabled the restoration of commuter service in a number of priority corridors. The chairperson of PRASA, Mr. Leonard Ramatlagani Chair, will lead the PRASA presentation to the committee on its annual report and financial statements. With me from the department is the acting DG, and uh, as well as uh, the DDG, Mr. Nwako uh, Makaipeya, and the uh, advisors and the uh, staff of the ministry. And uh, we are with uh, the PRASA board chair, as well as the management. Thank you, Chairperson, for the opportunity. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. All right. What we're going to do is we have received the presentation, but we're not going to go to it uh, now. If there's a question, the uh, board and the executives will direct us to the relevant slide so that we manage time. So, Honorable Van Minen, uh, can I hand over to you? Thanks very much, Chair. And I won't come in. So once the questions are posed, please just uh, respond to them as Honorable Fanmin and Direct so to manage our time. Over to you. Thanks very much. Okay, my first question, um, it's a general question to which I would appreciate some comments. So the main objective of PRASA is to ensure that rail commuter services are provided within, to, and from the Republic and to provide long-haul passenger rail and bus services within, to, and from the Republic. The second objective and the secondary business of PRASA is to generate income from the assets it acquires. And this is in line with the Cabinet decision that was made in December 2004 to offer rail passengers integrated services that prioritise customer needs, provide better mobility and accessibility to transport in pursuit of a better life for all. Now, looking at these audit results and the last three years, and I just want to remind everyone that the last three years obviously would predate the issues with COVID. Uh, I really want to put it to the board that um, PRASA has really failed to meet its mandate. And at this point, it really can be seen as nothing else than a completely failed entity. And I would just like their um, their answer on uh, whether or not they agree with that, or if not, why they think differently. Thank you. Chair? Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Convener. Uh, the questions, are, they agreed. We agreed around the issue about the mandate, uh, mandate of uh, providing a a rail services, as well as a second uh, objective uh, in terms of uh, income generation. The, well, of course, uh, it's, it's well stated that uh, the, the three years that we are referring to, which is, the, of course, the three years uh, before us, that we haven't done much, uh, particularly compounded by the uh, challenges that in fact, the minister also referred to including the issues around instability, the issues around the COVID that has also taken over, and inability of PRASA to, to function properly, which also been compounded by the problems of uh, vandalism that has taken place uh, of the of this of the um, PRASA infrastructure, 
which is now a, a burden that we have to handle in terms of even the minister talks about the shortage of uh, 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 functional operational cash, OPEX. Now we are faced with that. Now you can easily say that there's a failed, uh, Prasa has failed to deliver on this mandate. We are aware of those weaknesses that has resulted into this. And this is why we are now having this program of the recovery, of Prasa recovery of its uh, core mandate, as well as the uh, secondary mandate. Precisely because we see uh, the problems and the weaknesses. If we can't generate the income in terms of the properties, that means there is a problem, which means we have the task of making sure we turn the situation around. And I think because we are on a journey to recovery, um, I, I can only say, uh, uh, Honorable Minar, that you give us uh, this time to make sure that we can prove that Prasa is in fact changing. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Now, the Honourable Minister referred to the need for speedy and decisive action. However, if I look at, quite frankly, the last decade um, of PRASA, um, and the fact that, I mean, you know, we've seen that 80% of South African train commuters have abandoned rail transport in the last decade. How are you going to convince Scopa that the capacity exists for the speedy and decisive action? And uh, how are you intending to really appeal to those what? That's just over half a million people who have no who are no longer using rail network to actually return to. Thank you, uh, Honourable uh, Minard. The, the the issue here is that the people has been confronted with no availability. Uh, of rail in some aspect because of what has happened in terms of the damage. They were forced, because of no availability, to revert to a different mode of transport, e.g. they've gone into, most of them have gone into taxi as the modes, but at a high cost uh, of the uh, disposable income of the people who uses the public transport. So they, because there's not been any alternative, people have reverted back into any other available transport. So our job is to make this available in terms of our journey to recover, as well as actually market. Now we now know that Magupani is now running full and people have returned because they were forced to go into a different mode of transport. The same thing will happen to Central Line once it gets back into the line, that people, every time where we go to them, they say, bring back the trains. That gives us a hope that in terms of mobilizing, getting people back into trusting their availability and punctuality and safety of a public transport, that the train is always going to be that, that mode. So it is not going to be an easy thing, the job, of press support and the management is cut out to make sure that, that it happens. And the call we always make is to work with the people to make sure that this happens, talk to communities, talk to uh, all stakeholders, including the political party, to help us mobilize to get to that point once we are ready. Uh, that's, that's how we're handling this. Uh, so I think that it's early days as we recover the corridors and we continue to say we now have recovered a couple of them, 
uh, on top of the 16 that was uh, operational. So gradually of the 46 or 47 corridors, almost half of it has already been recovered. Thank you, uh, Honorable Member. Thank you very much. Okay, so if we look at France's performance over the past few years. So in 2019-20, France achieved only 17% of its predetermined objectives. In 20 to 21, um, that went up, I think, to 25%. But if we go back pre-COVID to, say, the 2016-17 year, France only achieved 55% of its core objectives. So although we have seen a, a, a more rapid decline during the COVID period, what are the reasons um, for the declines prior to that and what is now being done? I know there's a much vaulted recovery plan, but what is now being done internally in particular to deal with uh, the failure to meet those objectives? Well, what, what, what we have uh, uh, done and what we are continuing to do is to make sure that we have uh, a, a requisite skilled personnel to be able to implement the plan. You would remember that historically, uh, Prasa has not been able to spend its capex. Otherwise, the program has been standing still, mostly because the capacity of personnel with the requisite skill to make sure that processes are followed up until the end, and then you produce the, uh, the tenders and program. So most of the work has been like uh, cancelled halfway before we actually even finalized. So gradually we are moving away from that because of the capacity, also with the assistance of the, the ministry, uh, that we, we, we at least have some capacity, capacity in a sense of a secondment of uh, skills personnel that can help us to get to this point. Because uh, the, the, ten, the, the issue about advertising takes a bit long, so we want uh, to have a holding arrangement in terms of the uh, already in terms of the capacity of skills that can that specialize with the various aspect of Prasa business, particularly for an example, that we, we, we need to build the capacity around the issue of CAPEX, around the issues of procurement, around the issue of supply chain management, which has been a problem in the past. So that's now that, that decrease, uh, as you look at it in terms of what was the problem, is nothing else but uh, capabilities, capability personnel that are able to do the right thing. Hence, we have uh, fallen into this particular question. Now, the 2016, um, the, in the 35, uh, 2016 was early days. There wasn't any COVID. But the problem that we're dragging along around the issue of capacity has always been with us even in 2016. Uh, you would remember that in 2016 already, there hasn't been any capacity of Prasa to do the many to do the repairing of trades. The, the, the general contract has not been functioning. And therefore, if you run operation of trains and you don't have necessary complementary plans, including what we call now that the refurbishment of trains, invariably you're not necessarily going to be able to meet your objective, like you see the deterioration of going down. But our commitment is we are going to have to turn it around. We have no other options, but this is the options to turn around and recover uh, what we have lost in the past. Thank you very much. 
Thanks very much. You know, talking about skilled personnel, that is something that really is a concern. Your vacancy rate is sitting at 19%. Has that changed at all in, in sort of recent months? And how are you busy processing? I, I realize that advertising takes time, but how are you busy progressing in filling those vacancies? Uh, honorable, thank you, Honorable Minar. We, we have already uh, advertised most of the senior positions, those that are not necessarily affecting the uh, restructuring of PRASA in terms of uh, business model. That has already been advertised because we also want stability in the management and stability of positions. We, we're hoping that by, by May, uh, latest June would have filled in those key positions that has been advertised. And at the same time, on that particular time, would have completed the restructuring because PRASA, as it says today, has been a top-heavy structure, uh, in inability to, is wieldy, not, not able to make a quick decision in terms of turnaround because of the layer and layer and layer. So that is what we are shrinking in terms of making sure that we have a a better structure, organizational structure, business structure. This is we now are completing that process, which then will complete the entire uh, process structure or business structure, if you like, that is going to be able to be the one that we now run with and haven't changed. In that, the implications comes. Those implications are going to be have to be uh, a match in place because some of the, the positions are going to go away, are going to disappear. So we'll do merchant place where in the event where there can't be a merchant place, obviously they will be going the route of uh, 189. If they, 189 be able to make sure that we have a lean and mean structure as it's able to do what it's supposed to do. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so you mentioned of the um, recovery program and the routes that you want to get up and running. I think you mentioned the number of 60% to say that you have achieved so far in terms of getting the routes up that you want to, to target for this financial year. Now, um, we've discussed the issue of the fall away of passengers, and obviously when we were up in Gauteng, we visited a number of stations. Some of them were the ones where obviously a lot of work has been done to get the stations up and running again. And then we also visited a number of stations unannounced where they are essentially a complete shells, correct shells. Um, in terms of what you have managed to achieve so far, the uh, revenue and the number of commuters in the first two quarters of the 2021-2022 financial year, how are those looking? Thank you, you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable uh, Minard. The, the thing I'll, I'll ask the... I think we have uh, officials management that can uh, help us with the finances, breakdown of finances. Uh, in terms of the improvement, is it uh, showing positiveness or not? Uh, but I just want to say this, that given the challenges that we had and the question of the ridership that has basically plummeted went down, obviously the income uh, in terms of generation of uh, income through fair and people paying their fares, it's gradual. It's gradual in line with the return of certain uh, corridors, and that basically be able to then tell us uh, what, uh, when we were in Mabupani, we could tell you uh, in the ticket counting, what uh, is the improvement 
from the beginning of the first train up until when we were there, that it's the graph is showing is going up because more people are using it. But for purpose of completion of this, I can ask uh, the uh, the uh, acting uh, uh, group CEO to 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 come in and to give you factual in terms of the finances. What is it that we see as an income, and what we see that as a progression is going up and not necessarily stagnated. Uh, David, if you can help with that kind of information, the question was, how do we then? Uh, value or how do we then begin to check whether we are making progress in terms of upwards trajectory or we stand in still if you could just help with that. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Chair, and good morning, uh, the Chairperson of SCOPA, Honorable Members, Minister, uh, officials from the Department, uh, um, Treasury, SIU, uh, and and the executive. So on on honourable van Minen, the trajectory on revenue starts with the 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 corridors where there's high usage. So when you look at uh, the likes of Mawopane, that's where the numbers are gonna come from. But obviously, if I'm to get that before I, I call on to the, the the numbers in terms of what we're getting every day every week. Um, obviously, that's dictated to by the access. And if you look at those, it's where basically the the the, the stations, uh, where the home stations and the heavier use or, or, or the numbers of the commuters come from in those corridors, we need those revived. So we are not there yet, but we are ramping up and we're seeing the usage each time we open a corridor. Uh, we we've seen that in Pinasport, we've seen that in in Mabupane. We now uh, are lately seen that coming from Salisville and Naledi as well. The heavy usage, and so that in terms of the ramp up, ramp up, that's where it's going to come from. But from a numbers uh, a point of view, if if I can just ask the CFO uh, Brian Alexander to give us the, the the numbers, if you do need the numbers to the point on that, uh, uh, Brian. Thank you very much, Chair. Very impressive echo there. Eh? Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, the echo is still there, Chair, unfortunately. Let me just sort it out. It sounds like it's in a train. <laughs> well, maybe they are. Mute. <laughs> Right. Um, um, can we sort this out, please? Chair, if you just give us a moment, we'll sort it out now. Uh, just uh, a couple of seconds. All right. So, Chief, if um. If I can speak to this from a revenue perspective, we still have a decline from last year. Um, if we look at our figures as of the 28th of February, we are sitting on 66 million in revenue, whereas last year we had we had a similar number. Um, so most of the revenue in price has been driven out of order packs, um, and about a third of the revenue is driven from rail. And this is obviously driven by the slowdown in activity much as you would see from our expenditure as well. So that certainly has impacted us as a business. 
Um, but we do expect a ramp up as we start to get the corridors going again. Um, we should see a significant increase in the forthcoming financial year um, in the revenue generated from fair revenue itself. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Following up from that, you know, people always say life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. Of the corridors that you've got up, how many of those corridors are running diesel locomotives? And the reason for my question is I, I want to explore what are the increasing diesel costs doing to the expenses and to your bottom line? How are you dealing with that issue? Because the diesel price is probably not going to come down anytime soon. And when we were up in Gauteng, we were told that a number of those corridors were in fact running on diesel because of issues with vandalism, issues with ESCOM, and the fact that an enormous amount of the cables had been stolen. Thank you, uh, Honorable Minat. Uh, uh, acting uh, Group uh, CEO, can you maybe just take that up? and just give uh, further details on that. Okay, thank you, Chair. So we do acknowledge that, uh, um, and we know that uh, running a diesel, diesel service as compared to electrical is a lot more expensive, but we've taken a view that says, let's look after the first mandate first, which is uh, rendering a service. And hence we introduce in that diesel in as much as it's expensive, but we have to, 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 to to, to, to have a mandate or rather a service as the, the first mandate. Um, we also have restricted uh, the number of trips in the diesel, diesel space. So we're doing the, the peak hours in the morning and peak hours in the afternoon where we're running diesel as compared to constant and continuous running as if we're running in the electric, electrical uh, traction. So, that's how we contain and managing the, the expense and trying to minimize that while rendering the service in the corridors where the commuters really require and need need the service, Honorable Van Minen. Uh, uh, Nelson, do you want to add on to that? Yes, uh, Group CEO. And uh, once again, good morning. Not all is of that. So far, I think there was a question around the number of corridors that are running with the disinstruction. Out of the 19 lines that we are running, we have uh, three of them. Pinas Port to Pretoria, the Ralla to Olansontin, as well as Naledi to uh, Johannesburg. Now, something important is that because it's a diesel traction, we are not running the whole day. Uh, we are limiting those services to the peak period, which is the morning trips as well as the afternoon trips. Thanks a lot, Coach. Okay, so moving from that to the issue of the security concerns, and I think certainly one of the most visible indications of the problems at Prasa that we saw with Scopa was the state of the stations, the lines, the overhead cables, the damage, the vandalism. You know, we went to Gabela, uh, which was incredibly impressive, and there are magnificent new trains. The concern is that there won't be any infrastructure to run them on. So what progress is being made with the security? Uh, at what stage, where are we with the current litigation with the previous security companies? And what is being done with the deployment of the new security? I believe there are several thousand new security. What is happening in that space? 
Thank you very much, Honorable Mina. Hey, can I just say before I give uh, David to say, uh, to give a detail. Honorable uh, Mina, the, the thing that we are battling with, which is what we're going to always come back to you and ask for some assistance and help, is this issue that we, we are confronted with providing a public transport, particularly for the poor working class, who, who struggle to get to, to work every morning. We have taken a position that even if we have to run a diesel, one lane diesel at, at the peak hour, we will have to do that because we are compelled by the situation on the ground. So, and that is going to be basically being the uh, point of expenditure that is going to rise up or to increase, given that the expenditure of a diesel and the train tickets are not necessarily going to be able to be compatible in terms of that. So there will be a deficit that we're going to be running. But we, we are just appealing that you, if you could understand from where we're coming from, from the point of view when we were in the central line last uh, two weeks ago with the SCOPA, we also said to the chair of uh, SCOPA, we would do our best to even run one lane in the central line while we are busy fixing the other. Because a bulk of people lives in that area and there is no alternative transport. So this is just an appeal I'm making that if we, uh, we, we don't, we're not hiding anything. We, we're just telling her how it is and the problem that we are now having to juggle with many balls on the air. So that's first thing. The second part you're asking is a security, which I will uh, regret, uh, ask David to talk to that particular issue. But I must say here, the minister did make that point, that it's regrettable that um, we find ourselves in the situation where we are as a result of a decision of cancelling without alternative. So now we inherit, we have a $4 billion bill to rebuild, which we don't necessarily ordinarily would have because of that. But we're now working hard to make sure that we are now closing that particular gap. Hence the additional security that was brought on board, the 3,100 additional security and insourcing uh, with using the um, existing company because there is still a dispute that we need to resolve with some of those companies that took us to court around the issue that they, they had the right. We, we took their right without necessarily uh, having engaged with them. So that there's a process of negotiating that out of our way because as a result of that court order in terms of Judge Hopper's court order, we can't advertise outside. We can't advertise new contract unless we resolve the dispute, mm. unless we bring to the, to the attention of the judge a comprehensive security plan, which is what he has asked Prasa to do, which has now been finalized. But in terms of the detail, uh, Honorable Minad, if you can you allow me to just ask uh, David to summarize some of those issues in terms of the security front, what is happening currently? Thank you, Chair. Honorable Van Minen, our security, integrated uh, security plan uh, comes in phases. One, we had to complement uh, our internal uh, capacity 
before we could go out and get private companies. And that is that was to enable Prasa to be able to manage the private companies. Because if we had gone into the private companies without internal management, it would have brought us into, again, private companies doing as they wish. So we've taken that, which is the reason why we've taken the three th- additional 3,100. But I must hasten to say, uh, Honorable Van Minet, that uh, at, at the peak of our security, we had around 10,000 uh, uh, boots on the ground. After depletion, we were running with 2,000. So the 3,100 has now uh, added us and taken us to 5,000. With that, we're now able to bring in private companies so that we can then manage what they do, monitor what they do, and make sure that they deploy accordingly. Parallel to that, we have a, a corridor approach. As and when we recover each corridor, uh, the service providers that are helping us with, with redeploying the infrastructure, they secure that while they redeploy. And when they move out, there's a transition plan which we now bring in. And that comes in between the insourced capacity and also external com- companies. In the absence of a direct uh, uh, contract, we've now gone into our sister company, AXA, where we are using their contract to source uh, security from those nine companies as granted and and permitted by National Treasury. So we are doing a force multiplier using that. The last part, uh, Honorable Van Minen, is that we are engaging uh, uh, with the security companies through their lawyers to settle the Shlope matter. That will allow us that by the time the AXA contract expire, which expire in the next 9 to 11 months, We'll be able to go out on directly without issues as compared to what we have currently. If I'm to give you an example, Honorable Van Minen, uh, if you look at Mabopane, which is what we just recovered, there's never been a single incident since we recovered that and deployed the security in that environment, which then shows you and is evidence that our integrated security plan is working. Not a single incident. If there are incidents, they're not security related. It, it probably is is technology and infrastructure, but not security, not, not vandalism. Lastly, on that honorable fund meaning is, is this, the, the, the communities around that environment because they so much wanted the trains to run because that's where they benefit from, from business and also benefit from the service itself. They are working with us, they're closer with us, and they are saying to us, they will deal with vandalists and, and, and thieves before, long before the security gets there, which then shows you that they're now beginning to own the infrastructure themselves. We're now going to go forward onto that and bring in cooperatives to make sure that we, we then bring them closer to this infrastructure so that they can then have ownership and help us as the third eye of securing the environment. Alexio, do you want to add on to that? Uh, thank you, Chair. I uh, thank you, uh, uh, thank you, uh, Group CEO, and good uh, day, colleagues. I think you've um, sir, uh, you've encapsulated it correctly. Um, the only point to add there is we've also done a deployment in the Germiston area over the last month, as well as Park Station, and I'm happy to confirm that as the same as Mabupane, there's been no incidents of vandalism. So our uh, our, our flow from Mabupane in terms of this, the integrated security plan and its deployments is bearing uh, extreme successes and fruits at the moment. Thank you. Okay, it's very good to hear that there, there is some positive news and obviously activating the communities to 
sort of essentially act as guardians of infrastructure is the important sort of place you want to get to. How do you intend transposing that to the central line in Cape Town, where you have got thousands of people in Langa, in Nyanga, in Philippi, actually living on the line? And to go back to the mandate that we discussed earlier, you, as you say, you have a mandate to ensure that people have access to transport. Now, with the process essentially over time and, and through various means allowing the occupation of those lines, how do you intend to actually roll out that mandate in those areas, given the enormous constraints that you've currently got? Thank you very much, Honorable uh, Member. I, I think that uh, if I can just quickly on that, just to give you a summary of the, of the challenge we have. The challenges that we have in Langa, that we still have right now, is that it is the, that clearing of the line is linked to a court decision. The court decision that, that suggests that before you move these people to a next place, make sure that the land is serviced and everything else that goes with the land, make sure that the learner transport is available, make sure that all the things that you need in the new place where they are going is in fact addressed. Our date is the July of this particular year that we must have completed the removal process. However, the, the challenge that we have been confronting with, and I think the minister has been helping quite a lot in this, is to get the land, access to land, because it's not in our mandate. So it has to be a land that is we could access to Department of Public Works, as well as the Department maybe of the Human Settlement in terms of this, because that's where they end local government, because of their mandate. Now, this has been the issue where we, we have pieces of land, but we are unable to move the people in Langa that are squatting illegally on that because the community, receiving communities in the, in the Blackheath or in the Kelsover, objected on the basis that the people that are coming are coming with a check. And that is going to mean that their property it's basically affected in terms of their prices because you are bringing shed, not houses. So they objected to this. With necessity then that we, we look for alternative land. We have looked for alternative land, including the private sector land that can be purchased. That's where we are at the moment. In ensuring that because we have to remove them from there to somewhere. Uh, and that somewhere is a land that has been made available. Uh, that is going to be have to be serviced because this, the, the land identification and the servicing of the land is what that slow down this process. Uh, that's where we are at the moment, uh, but we, we're working against the clock. We, we, we realize July is around the corner. We need to finalize this. But as Prasa, we, we don't have the money to purchase the land. That's why we revert to the parastatal land or government land where the land is not lying power that is not being utilized. That is the work of integrated um, integrated uh, uh, structures of government. And I can report that uh, the delayed on the IP uh, has now been implementing protocols 
that that delineate action or delineate the functional area of different spheres of government has now been finalized and signed. In other words, that can tell the city of Cape Town that your responsibility is going to be a bulk service on this particular piece of land, and this other department is going to, that has now been finalized. Would open up the, the, the work that must now finalize the service level agreement that must be finalized in order that every department is clear about their mandate in this particular uh, removal or uh, uh, yeah, relocation process that every department, every sphere know what is the financial implication of them participating in that. So that's where we are at the moment. We're still uh, working against this clock to make sure that we, by the time we get to July, um, we have uh, brought back some of at least uh, a basic, basic transport in the central line. We can't fail on it. Uh, it is the mandate that we need to 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 prosecute, and we have to do that. Uh, thank you very much. What happens in July if you have not managed to do that? What are the ramifications of of not meeting that deadline? We all know that human settlements, as a as a sector, is a very regulated um, field, and there are a lot of issues that that have to be met, a lot of conditions that have to be met. One's dealing with communities. One can't just move people out of the way. So what happens in July if you have not achieved this? The first thing that uh, will happen in July if we we can see that we have not achieved it is probably, and I don't want to get into that because uh, it's um, it's still far away away from us. It will will have to make sure that we, 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 the court support us in whatever way we're going to suggest that either is it an extension in July we have not finalized but by July we should be very clear where we are in the in the process then like we had done last year we'll have to approach court to make sure that the court agrees with what we suggest we're going to do given that we are failing to meet the deadline the only way that can that we can accelerate on this is the land availability and the quickness in which we can then move the people from there. If we get the service land, that will be quick. If we get the land on loan, that will be quick. But all of that um, will, will is our options that we're going to look at. But for now, we are not even looking at that because we are focusing on, on, on the plan that we have to remove the people from the Langa as well as Philippi to open up Mrs. Plain and Kailichala. That's what our focus at the moment. But if we can't make it because of the material conditions, we will obviously have to start off by going to court and informing the court about where we are and the problems that we are in front of. There is a team, integrated team, that is driving this process at all spheres of government uh, that are driving at the level of officials to make sure that they they are able to uh, speak on the same voice and make sure that we achieve the results. Uh, David, I don't know if you want to add anything about this in terms of the integrated team. Uh, please do do so, so that at least it's a complete answer to the question. Okay, uh, thank you, Chair. Honorable Feminine, I, I must start by thanking our Honorable Minister uh, in, in facilitating the intergovernmental collaboration and, and, and leading
that. Uh, that is to make sure uh, yeah, the areas of government come to the party. So we're managing that program and the, and the dates based on who's engaged and what they need to do. Um, but we must also look at the areas that are not affected by the encroachments on the central line. And we, we're coming up with solutions to make sure that trains run around those. Uh, uh, of clarity at the moment, the, the, the Cape Town to Langa and Langa back to Cape Town via Pine, Pine Lanes, Michels Plain, that we're working on because there's no encroachment in there. We bring the segment that comes through Langa into Belleville via Sarepta. So that as well we, we're going to, to bring forward. The, the tricky part is moving from Nyanga all the way to Kailisha, which is that, that those two encroachments. So that part will have to wait for, for a resolution based on this collaboration that the minister is busy guiding on. On that particular point, what is being done, what measures being taken to ensure that there are no further encroachments or further growth of the communities living on those railway lines? Honourable Familian, as we speak, uh, uh, there, there are service providers that are busy fencing those areas. The last uh, oversight that we did with Scopa, that question popped up, and we're busy at the moment. We should be done in the next week fencing over the, the areas that are currently occupied, just to make sure that there is no uh, further uh, uh, encroachment into other areas and an explosion in those areas. So we're doing longer. Uh, Philippi is a different dynamic because they, they are uh, latrines on top of the track instead of, of, of dwellings. And then non-Kubela, it's, it's also a fencing exercise where we make sure that we cocoon the, the current encroachment and not let it explode to, to, the, to the rest of the reserve. And then we will mend that with security once it's mend. That's a, that's the, 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 and the last one on that is... Obviously, the stakeholder management kicks in where we we a lot closer to the communities. They know each other. Uh, there will be attempts uh, because people see benefits out of coming into that uh, as, a, as a way to getting household mm-hmm. elsewhere or being moved elsewhere. So the, the current communities that are there that we've, we've spoken to and the leadership that's there uh, is working with us and making sure that, that 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 fencing stays in place and also there's no explosion going there. So stakeholder management and getting closer to those communities is critical, Honourable Fanminian. Thank you. Thank you very much. My last question on security is, you know, given what we've seen across the country and the very, very high levels of vandalism and theft, uh, in terms of arrests and progress being made in investigating um, who is behind who's behind this. I mean, it's not just a case of an impoverished community stealing what they can, but I think one really has to accept there's a much bigger um, impetus behind this because, I mean, certainly the wholesale damage and vandalism that we've seen cannot just be happening spontaneously. What progress is being made in that regard? Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Juan Minen. The thing, uh, let me just start off by saying In a recent while, uh, it has been reported in the media uh, with the minister being part of dealing with the scrap metal that uh, has been stolen from Prasa. This would not have happened uh, before if we did not have integrated security plan. Currently, um, with the capacity that uh, we have been bringing in, is ensure that 
we have at least we are working together in an integrated way with the with the security uh, cluster. We are able to detect. We are able to get intelligence, collect intelligence about what is happening on the on the syndicate. Now the issue there has been arrest, some success in terms of arrest that has been affected as a result of this integrated approach. Uh, maybe that uh, that's where David can come in and tell you what are the at least uh, successes. I know that Alex has spoken about that already that has been, uh, just to give you the numbers, the kind of numbers that um, an incident and less of incident that you can be able to measure on. Uh, David, if you could just uh, jump in onto that. Honorable uh, uh, this is, an integrated approach that requires us to collaborate with the rest of other state machinery. Obviously, there's an ecosystem there where you see small little uh, thieves harvesting and taking into the bigger syndicates and taking into the to the smelters as well. So it does require uh, counterintelligence. Um, we can't do that on our own as press. We have to bring in intelligence. We have to bring in uh, the police. It is also evident when you look at some of the retaliation that we're getting from these big, big syndicates that we may have to bring in um, the army in certain questions, in certain certain points. Um, and but it won't be broadly the, to the entire infrastructure or the entire network. It will be for hotspots. But in terms of numbers, uh, Alexio, do you want to get into the numbers? Because uh, they're showing uh, the presentations that we have. That's part of the additional information that I highlighted earlier on, showing numbers that have drastically come down uh, due to our interventions. Alexio? Uh, thank you, uh, Acting Group CEO and uh, Honorable uh, Menard. Um, the current stats in terms of what's been done since the, 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 the full drive um, the sum of suspects apprehended to date um, within the last eight months is a total of 454, um, of which um, 118 court cases have been finalised, um, have been finalised, amounting to a combined total of 764 years and six months imprisonment mm -hmm. for those people that uh, that have been finalised. Um, there are currently 85 court cases pending um, uh, with regards to that total number, and then 186 suspects are awaiting uh, trial dates. So that just brings you to the integrated approaches in which security has been driving and the successes that we've had with the 180 uh, cases finalised with a, a total of uh, 700 basically 65 years imprisonment for those 118. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Okay, um, I'm going to just conclude. I've got one more question, but this is going to relate to the accounting commitments. Um, it is uh, in, in the um, audit report, one sees that Prasa contracted for new rolling stock for um, the amount of just over 72 billion rand and operational commitments of 16.9 billion. But the expenditure is not provided for in the budget. What is going on in that particular incident, in that particular case? Without wasting time, Honourable <clears throat> Member, let me ask the, the acting group CEO to deal with that particular aspect. 
Brian, do you want to get into the numbers quickly without wasting time? Thank you very much, Chair. Um, Honorable Sanminen, just if I can refer to that, we have got capital commitments, which will be paying for that rolling stock over a period of time. There are adjustments that will be coming through due to price increases from, well, through DOT and through National Treasury. So they've undertaken to provide us with the capital that is required to be able to purchase the rolling stock. So there isn't a risk for price on that. The risk is carried by government in terms of the acquisition of that rolling stock. Thank you. Okay. All right. Okay, Chair, I'll hand back to you at this point. Thanks very much. All right. Um, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Fanminen, for taking us through um, on those issues. I think colleagues will come back to them. Um, right. Honorable Hatebe with an H. Or maybe wait, let's do this. Colleagues, are there any follow-ups to the issues that Honorable Fanminen has raised so that you don't lose them? And then Honorable Hatebe will come in. All right. Honorable Hatebe. Um Minister board and say all protocol observed, Chair. Before I start, um, let me just make a follow-up on what um, Honorable Van Minen has raised in relation to securing the central line to ensure that there is no um, mushrooming of um, further uh, informal uh, uh, settlement in the area. The response was that there will be erecting a fence um, to ensure that uh, at least they cap the increase. I'm not sure whether in, in the response they have highlighted that they've engaged with those communities prior the erection of the fence, because it will be ideal uh, that they explain to those communities the reason why the fence will be erected. Can I just get an understanding whether or not such engagement has taken place. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Honorable Madhavi. There has been an engagement uh, with the communities, particularly around how do we keep increased numbers uh, on, the, on this illegal occupation. But obviously the engagement, uh, I cannot say it is enough. It should be ongoing engagement so that uh, because when we started this project, we said communities are the best repository of information. They are there, they can see what is happening. So I think the, the more accelerated engagement uh, will, will help going forward with it. There has been engagement, but I don't think it's sufficient. I can say sufficient engagement because I think even the board has been actively engaging with those communities, but that's far from being sufficient. More we have to be done, make sure that communities becomes a defender of that uh, particular taking occupational. Thank you, Honorable Hadam. No, thanks, Chair. I'm raising this, uh, obviously, uh, based on previous experience. You would recall, colleagues, the Bay Bridge fence uh, where we wasted uh, around 43 million 
and within no time that fence was breached. So if there is no uh, buy-in and understanding from the community why you'll be erecting that fence, you might experience fruitless and wasteful expenditure uh, that within no time you erect the fence and the fence will be taken down. So I would uh, advise that there should be that prior engagement uh, before anything is done so that uh, you the, the communities act as your eyes and ears on the ground and appreciate the good intention in terms of that uh, uh, fence line. Chair. Um, let's uh, move right along, Chair. Um, in terms of failure to submit your annual financial statement, uh, AG has highlighted that uh, you have been proposing deadlines and you have failed to submit accordingly in terms of the deadlines that you have set yourself. For example, Chair, you failed to meet the deadline of the 31st of May, which is the legislative date for submitting the annual financial statement. And you committed to submit on the 30th of June, 2021. However, uh, that commitment was never uh, fulfilled or you have submitted incomplete statement. And uh, again, on the 10th of September, the approved annual financial statements that were submitted were still incomplete. And there was an undertaking on the 1st of October that you will submit on the 6th of October. What you did, you submitted a revised draft that was not signed and it was incomplete. Can I get an understanding um, why are you failing to meet the legislative deadlines? I'm raising this because um, since then, the AG has highlighted that um, there has been pushback from the entity's side. Um, the AG has tried to schedule several meetings uh, with the board representatives and senior management. To date, um, on the finalization of the audit, um, I think that was uh, December, uh, you have refused or unwilling to cooperate with the Auditor General. Um, why is this the case? Why are you uh, refusing to cooperate with Auditor General? Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Hadebe. Let me, let me start off by, um, in fact, this is the area where I had uh, the earlier, as, uh, as a chair of the board, uh, apologized for this unfortunate situation that uh, we ended up in, in the particularly on the auditing that has taken place already. And I, I did say that um, the, the at the time that the uh, relationship uh, between Prasa and the AG wasn't um, a good at a good footing. I did uh, say, uh, Honorable Member and Chair, that uh, we will make sure that this relationship is fixed. 
is uh, is uh, based on the respect that the OEG has a job to do, and that we have to comply within the framework that all the state and entities are complying, which is the thirty first of May. We have that, and then we I did promise that we will we will have a meeting with the AG, so that we are able to work out the modus operandi going forward. That meeting has happened. I. Definitely, I had uh, led the team to go and meet with the AG to explain uh, what has happened and what we now need to do. And uh, out of that, uh, there has been agreement with the AG about uh, what the time frame should be for the submission. We must work on the basis of a plan, the plan that must be complied with, so that we avoid this uh, shifting of dates from one day to the next and one day to the next. The, the reason, Honorable uh, Hadega, uh, is that we, we explain uh, that the reason for the these dates that were not met has been explained to us as a board on the basis that offices has been closed for weeks because of the uh, finance people being uh, basically tested positive and then they started working from home and that has been the reason. But that's not the reason enough to make sure that we don't meet three sets of dates that we have suggested that we, we are going to do. Now, going forward, Honorable uh, uh, Chair, I'll come back to the uh, to the other part of your race. Going forward, the Trasa and AG has already had three uh, meetings because we suggested that Prasa uh, and AG, AG must be able to make a presentation that these are our expectations from the Prasa uh, financial team or the audit team so that we can't say we did not know. So that has happened. The meeting has happened. In those meetings, I think the acting group has been part of those meetings to make sure that at the highest level, we are handling this particular matter that uh, was a bit uh, uh, problematic. We 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 did speak as a board about this particular matter, and uh, basically said to the management, "It's it's unacceptable that uh, you don't meet your deadlines." Every department they operate on the basis of the act, and they are covered by the act. So we can't claim to have uh, to get the better of the two. Now, we were told about the capacity, and the capacity on our world is real uh, in terms of capacity of uh, the skills that I've mentioned before, which is what we are pursuing with the assistance of the minister around the issue about secondment or some of the some of the people that can help us not to fall into this particular uh, uh, trap. We have uh, spoken about no officials of PRASA can represent to PRASA in refusing to refusing to submit themselves in the process that the AG is, is following. That uh, point we have made to, to all of the or the staff, including uh, the uh, committees that deal with that particular matter. And I think for now, uh, I would simply uh, restate again that it was unfortunate um, that we ended up in that kind of um, a relationship of, of kind of tension that happened. But 
for now, I can say that we have overcome that in, in terms of engagement and the undertakings that we have given. Um, so we're now looking forward, Honorable Hatebe, to the new one, to the new financial year, and make sure that the deadline that we have all agreed to with the AG in the workshops that they've been conducted, that we keep to those dates. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, I have answered that question. I don't think, David, you need to answer anything there. So in essence, you have um, since worked on your relations with the Auditor General and all challenges that were experienced um, have been ironed out and we are expecting moving forward that things will improve. And the AG is here and I'd like um, to get confirmation from the AG's team um, whether or not indeed the working relations have been um, improved and those meetings that were requested, that there, there, there is movement in that regard. Um, can I just get a confirmation chair through you uh, from the AG's team if the uh, relations between the two entities are and now uh, looking towards a brighter future. No, thank you, Honorable Radev. I think the uh, AG can speak uh, from our side. Uh, yes, sorry, I was referring to the chair of SCOPA. Oh. <laughs> so, so, so that the AG team can respond. No, Honorable Radev, you are at liberty to structure the questioning as you deem fit with all the stakeholders. No, thanks. Can I get confirmation? Um, AG, I'm not sure who's representing the Auditor General, but the, the representative, uh, can you please um, um, confirm to us? Uh, good morning, uh, Honorable Chairperson, um, through you and to the Honorable Members. This is Ilza Slava speaking. Um, I am the newly appointed senior manager on the PROSA audit. Uh, I can confirm uh, what management has conveyed to the committee. Obviously, the audit is still in the early stages, um, so we will be monitoring progress as and when we're going along. But I can confirm that we have indeed had meetings where we've had in-depth discussions as to how to resolve the matters that were uh, problematic in the past. Um, so we're hoping uh, to have a much more efficient uh, audit this year um, and to cultivate a, a good professional working relationship with PROSA. Thank you. Thank you, AG. Now, moving right along, um, the 2018-19 financial year, as well as 2019-20 financial year, AG had raised a very serious concern about the instability at both uh, the board and key management level. And for this financial year under review, once again, the AG is saying the entity has been plagued with instability for both the accounting authority, which is the board and key management level, including the position of the group CEO and group chief financial officer. Now, I must state this previously, the AG has highlighted that this is contributing negatively into the entity and its ability to get its house in order. I'm not sure whether 
in 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 Posa, I would have said uh, it appears as if Niloiwe. Um, because on the 29th of August 2020, the High Court set aside the appointment of the administrator. Uh, the board was then subsequently appointed, and the new group CEO was appointed. Within no time, a few months later, um, uh, the group CEO was fired, and we are now back to square one, and there are vacancies at executive management. Uh, which has not been filled, and you have acting incumbents in in those positions. Um, can you take us through and just um, tell us um, what are the plans in place uh, to remedy the situation in relation to the filling of vacancy and that of the group CEO? I'm raising this because uh, these vacancies, as highlighted by the Auditor General, impact negatively on your capacity and ability to address this uh, disclaim audit finding. You are now uh, for three years in a row have received disclaim audit opinion and one of the contributing factors are the instabilities in the key management level and the board. So take us into confidence and give us uh, projected timeframes, uh, project plan, in filling of these vacancies, and where are you um, at this stage with the, the filling of vacancies? Thank you very much, Onagohada. Let me first just deal with the first part, uh, instability of uh, management, senior management. Uh, when when we took over, we the first point we made was that we want to bring stability uh, in management and we want to bring stability in terms of policy so that people that are given a responsibility, they are assured the policy is protecting and directing what they need to do. And if we achieve all of that, it will also minimize the corruption because then everybody will be clear about the policy. That position, uh, we still support, uh, support that that's a correct position we need to take. However, in the implementation of the work that we have, the senior leadership that are appointed to do certain things, they are subjected to the evaluation. Uh, for an example, we appointed uh, the group CEO, um, GCO, and then we said to him, here's the policy that we now have. You are going to be subjected to evaluation from time to time because you're on probation. If you don't make it in terms of the probation, we would not appoint, we would not confirm your, your appointment. Uh, so it's been quite transparent. The policy has been there. So the group uh, GCO that we appointed uh, was then, its contract was terminated as a result of the breakdown of the relationship and a trust relationship between the board and himself. And that uh, was a breach of a contract. And I will leave it there because we at the uh, next week we are in the arbitration with, uh, with, with him on the basis that he is wanting the reinstatement. But from the board side, I must say this uh, with, with all respect, uh, that um, 
the evaluation reports that we did shows us that uh, we're not making progress. Basically that uh, the, there was uh, no delivery. The things that we said were expected to be delivered by the operation side has not been done. Um, so keeping something like that and knowing very well that um, would have been very disingenuous, would have been misleading uh, to the country and hoping that things that will, we have said they must be done will be done. It was a total failure. I think we have accepted other support that um, the, the, the incumbent or the person that was given that responsibility did not live up to it. Uh, that's with respect. Um, then the second, uh, um, I think maybe uh, the going forward, Chair, I want to make this a suggestion. Going forward, it is always going to be better to have a transparent relationship with the AG particularly when it comes to these particular matters, because AG depend on those officials, senior officials for the various things in the organization. That I think we, we should have a, a kind of briefing and engaging when we, when we have, when particularly when we're at this point where we have a problem and the, we must be able to take the AG in confidence. Because I'm sure if they were taken in confidence, they would have a different view about this. So on the issue of the of the CFO or GCFO, uh, there is a, uh, I can take you in confidence, uh, uh, Honorable Chair, that she has been suspended. She's on this precautionary suspension. And the reason that she is in the she's in that particular position of precautionary suspension is um, non-compliance issues, non-compliance with the condition of employment, non-compliance within making sure that, uh, for an example, I can say this without elaborating it, that um, there has been investigation, preliminary investigation that has taken place that revealed that um, the non-compliance aspect on the uh, CFO is a problem and he says for consent. For an example, uh, the, the issue of making sure that um, a chartered accountant is also a member of the site uh, that has not necessarily been complied with, which is create problem for us going forward with financial statement and everything that goes with it. So we felt it was better that uh, we we do this, we we suspend, proportional suspension with pay, and we ask the uh, uh, CFO to account, to explain. That process may clear here in terms of making sure that uh, it is a compliance or non-compliance. But we are in a catch-22 because if we don't do anything, we will be asked, why did you not take action? And we take action, then there will be also the issue about uh, not so fast, not so fast, slow down. But we are, at this all attempt to make sure that we clean up, make sure that everything that we say, that undertaking that we're giving to yourselves, honorable members, that we live to that. So that's, there's two positions. We have put together a committee 
to make sure that those that has been advertised, position that has been advertised, that there is uh, no delay, that once the date has closed, shortlisting has been done, that that committee is responsible in making sure that the interview takes place, the recommendation is made because we can't afford to continue the way we in the past trajectory, the way we we have been too many acting and too many acting. So please accept, uh, understand uh, where we're coming from on this issue. It could have been better if we have taken you in confidence before today in terms of what are we picking up in terms of going forward. But we can only give you undertakings that will always try to do the best for, for the organization. And when some people um, sometimes uh, we will do engagement with them in turn to make sure that they understand the direction that the organization is taking. I think uh, we, we are duty-bound to clean up, to make sure that PRASA operate like any other uh, organization clear with policy that it support what they do. So thank you very much, Honorable um, Hadebe, uh, on, on that question. So we're hoping that by mid-year, most of those critical positions would have been finalized and, and filled in so that we are able to forget about acting, acting, and then we have a permanent position. There are positions that are going to be the responsibility of the group um, uh, GCFO, GCO, and that those are going to be the operational aspect. We only get involved in the top positions that are there in terms of the uh, uh, GCO and GCFO in terms of the kind of appointment. But the rest is the exco that the that the payload must drive and make sure that we all meet the deadline in terms of what we're setting ourselves. Thank you very much. There is a plan. There is a plan in terms of when do we want to achieve this. There's a detailed plan. If um, the uh, scope want to have side of that, I think the, the, it can be made available in terms of what we plan to do with the positions and filling vacant positions. But other positions are slowed down because of the uh, the issue of making sure that we don't duplicate other position as we restructure. But all of that they should be done by the by by the media in terms of uh, everything else that we supposed to do should have been done. Thank you very much. Th thanks, Chair. And you would agree with me that. Coming to this meeting, you knew that one of the contributing factors its instabilities and uh, acting incumbents and not filling up vacancies. And for you to inspire confidence in this committee, one would have expected that at least, even though you don't have the plan, in front of you, but you would be able to give us uh, milestone projections on key um, appointments and the turnaround time it will take to fill those vacancies so that we can uh, get the sense that you are on top of your game. And I'm raising this because this is not the first finding and it's not the second. For three consecutive years, the issue of instability has been raised. Now, in responding to us, I was expecting you 
without going into details to say um, on this date, we, we would have filled so much position on this date, we would have shortlisted or interviewed. Uh, what all I'm hearing is that you have a plan. Without that site, uh, the site uh, into the plan, one wouldn't be convinced that the plan would be implemented. And I'll tell you why I'm raising this. The AG highlighted that even though you had a concerted effort in developing and executing your audit action plan, however, your plan was ineffective in addressing previous repeat audit findings. He went further on to say, in fact, in previous years, it was also highlighted that there is complacent attitude and lack of accountability uh, in your senior management. This financial year under review, the AG again says, there are some executive who lacks effort to timely address the collapse of internal control and previous repeat audit findings. Um, now, all these questions that I've posed to you, they are not only issues that emanate from the financial year under review, it's issues that have been there previously. And uh, the response, it's not convincing to us. Uh, but let's move to your audit action plan that was ineffective in addressing the audit findings. And your executive, uh, some of your executives that lack effort and they're complacent in terms of addressing these issues. Have you undertaken um, some sort of investigation into who are these officials that lacks uh, effort when it comes to internal controls and the collapse in the system? Do you know what you are dealing with and what measures should be put in place to address such a bad attitude on your executives? Thank you, Honorable um, I will start off by giving you an answer, and I think the detail of uh, the, the detail about who they are um, and what are we doing about it. I think the and the Dempelo can can come back and just explain what we have identified. And uh, I'm sorry, uh, Honorable Hadebe, the issue about uh, not not getting into detail about it um, around the plan. Um, but I can say to you, the, we set ourselves at 90 days, which is three months to finalize the position of the group, uh, the group CEO. Uh, so that we're going to uh, make sure that we keep to it. It has been advertised. That we're going ahead with that uh, to that process. So it's, we, we're giving ourselves three months to do it. In, in fact, even the first one about that we appointed um, that they um, Matthews, it was 90 days, so 95 to be exact, in terms of from the time of advertising to the time of appointment. So we'll keep to that. Uh, on the, G, on the uh, GCFO, is a process that there is now 
going to be a DC to take this issue because she's just on the on the probation, not on a probation, on precautionary suspension. Uh, your pardon. And the rest of the appointment of the personnel, I, I said they will not go beyond May and June. They has to be finalized. Otherwise, at the moment there should be a shortlisting that is taking place already. I have we have appointed a committee, which is a blending with the board to make sure that we do the the interview process. That all of that must be finalized. So I. I apologize that I can say to the uh, to to you that I didn't read the dates uh, in terms of it, but I think that we can make the plan available um, as we stand. But the, the key framework is that of what we the, the speed in which we need to do this audit action plan. Honourable Hadeb, um, there was a team that has been appointed, um, which were looking two years back in terms of the repeat findings, going forward, working through that process so that we clear the back, backlog of the uh, repeat of, uh, repeat uh, identification of findings. That committee, um, I must say that uh, it, it was never uh, brought to the board attention that there is an attitude there, except to be given an update from, uh, from that committee. And that committee uh, is a committee that is under the ACT committee, but they've been giving us a feedback about how much have they cleared from the 2018, 19, and 2021 20, uh, in terms of 85% of the first, first year that was cleared in terms of the repeat findings. And then the next set of uh, year, that we were told, in fact, in a report that uh, there is, we now at at the year two, we're at uh, 65, about there around 65% clearing of the repeat findings. So in the work that uh, we have been done, we we, have, we are talking the, uh, the language that uh, the group uh, GCFO with the group GCE, that's the people that must implement this kind of plan. And they have been giving us a feedback that uh, is on, uh, on track. Uh, and they are checking in terms of what is it that we, we are lacking in that sphere, in that area of work, and how do we can then be able to address it with the capabilities of people that don't have uh, requisite skills in that particular aspect. So, we, we I must say that uh, maybe David can explain that in detail, that that uh, the attitude issue that has been made uh, is concerning. I must say it's concerning if we have that after we have been there before and we have uh, seek to clarify and engage and move forward with a kind of positive spirit. But if that is so, I think it will require some necessary action from the, from the, uh, a GCO in terms of functionalities area. But maybe David, if you could maybe just help us to uh, deal with this particular question, you may have more information than all of us because this operational aspect. Yeah, yes, um, I think before the acting group CEO comes in, um, he needs to also respond to whether or not he has been able to assess what made the previous audit action plan to be ineffective uh, 
And do you have the audit action plan currently? Um, and how far are you in addressing issues as raised by the Auditor General in your audit action plan? And all those that are assigned with certain responsibility in terms of the finding, are they equal to the task? And over to you, Group CEO. Uh, thank you. And let me start by saying we have an audit uh, task team headed by Mr. Joseph Makor. If we to look at the work done, uh, which started in the middle or towards the end of the, the review year uh, that we've currently put forward, the, the results of which we'll start seeing when we get into this, this audit. But I must also indicate, uh, honorable members and the chair and minister, that there is a, a key performance indicator in each of the executive's uh, uh, performance scorecard that looks at the effectiveness on how each of the, the functions or divisions or departments that they had uh, is dealing uh, with audit findings, in particular repeat audit findings. So that will be a measure towards the end of this year to, to look into each of those areas and so, so we can see how each of the divisions is, is, is performing. We've also started with an analysis of what the, the AG has found out in terms of where are the repeats coming from? Is it the big contracts in particular, some of which have not been resolved? Or is it repeats in terms of, of, of a culture? So that report is going to come through, and I think Mr. Makoro has, has started with that work so that we can start clustering that and, and focus on those. We can then take that as part of input of what we're going to do in the journey of cleaning up and making sure that we get out of this disclaimer and end up further down the road in this journey with a cleaner environment or cleaner entity. But it has to start with uh, performance managing those areas and having a focus in those areas, which we have currently in our performance scorecard on Rokul Hatep. Maybe, Joe, in terms of the progress and the percentages and how far we've gone uh, in a subsequent year after the year under review, uh, Mr. Makoro? Uh, thanks, 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 uh, thanks, Group. Uh, Chair, good morning, and good morning to the members of uh, SCOPA. Uh, Chair of the board, I think it is true that the AG has found the audit action plan to be ineffective. And, and I think the AG is here. One of the main or the main contributing factors to that is that invariably we always find ourselves in a catch-up situation, i.e. the time to implement the plan and to see the results and then the time of an audit. It's always a short span of time. Uh, uh, you know, we are discussing the annual report now, and, and almost the next audit for the 2021 is actually upon us. So I think that's one thing that uh, the AG has also acknowledged in terms of the uh, effectiveness of the audit action plan. 
Chair, I think you are correct in that the issue of an attitude has not uh, surfaced and, 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 and to that effect, to demonstrate uh, commitment to resolving the action or the audit findings is that EXCO has actually committed each executive over and above the scorecard measure to report individually on the progress. And each executive sitting around the table has also allocated senior persons within their divisions to actually drive the audit action uh, plan. That chair, I think, demonstrates commitment. And in terms of attitude, uh, probably slightly uh, uh, to the contrary, but I think it's an issue that we will take up with the AG. And in terms of the current action, audit action plan, chair, that is in place. And one of the actions emanating out of that is actually to engage or workshop that with the AG so that at least there is alignment in terms of what we see uh, as the group CEO indicated. The, the audit action plan is actually premised on root cause analysis. And, and in the engagement with the AG, we agree that maybe we just need to go into a deep dive so that there is alignment in terms of what we see as root causes and their experience, and, and therefore work in terms of improving the uh, audit action plan. Uh, members, the chair alluded to issue of resourcing as being a real issue within the organization. And, and, and that's an area that I think as EXCO as well, uh, as late as yesterday, we actually spent a lot of time in terms of saying, how do we resource the plan and make sure that some of the key actions that we have committed to, as an example, we are back again in terms of undertaking physical asset verification. And that physical asset verification is across all asset classes, and in some areas we have got specialist skills that have to be deployed. And, and ESCO actually committed itself again to making sure that even in the face of the resource constraint, that this, this matter is, is, is being addressed. So in essence, I think we certainly hope for a much better uh, opinion from the AG on the action audit plan, uh, and and we are busy uh, driving that. And if anything, we will be working with both AG and National Treasury has also shown interest in actually helping us to get things done. Uh, Chair, I think I will stop at that for now. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, Chair of of the board, um, Honourable the Minister and the entire board member, there's a saying that um, trying becomes a futile exercise 
if all you do is constantly fail. I'm raising this because once again, we are told that poor record keeping, um, which have been previously reported, remain unaddressed. Now, this is despite your previous commitment um, as Prasa that you were moving into this uh, cloud storage platform. The AG is saying that the lack of approved governance records relating to the minutes of governance structures, including those of various committees, is of a significant concern. And this has had a significant impact across the audit of Prasa as certain procurement approvals could not be confirmed in line with the delegation of key decision taken, which could not be confirmed. I am wondering how do you then proceed with procurement if there has not been a confirmation in terms of delegation of authority in writing? How is this still continuing to be an area of concern. These are basics. How do you sit in meetings where you get paid, but there are no records for those minutes? Can you explain to us why is this still a case in 2022, um, Honorable, the chairperson of the board? Well, thank you very much, Honorable I am a bit surprised that uh, we're still having, because the issue of record keeping is always something that has been inherited as part of the, the previous board. And we have been working around the clock to make sure that the decision and everything that goes with what the board has done, there's a record there is minutes and they assign minutes for that matter. In terms of the DOA, we have done the DOA to make sure that every officials who has a responsibility, that responsibility is captured in the uh, DOA on all of the executive that, that we have done. And that has been now implemented, has been implemented by the EXCO. Um, obviously, we haven't uh, heard that there is a problem with the DOA uh, that we have given to the officials to implement in terms of their area of responsibility. Uh, I must say that um, uh, if uh, the record keeping is of the what we've inherited, we have in fact found that it's been the case, and we have asked the team to search for all the records that are required for this because we don't want officials that are performing function and they are not necessarily given a responsibility based on the on the doa to perform that because immediately that call to questions uh, decision making process of that particular individual but uh, i don't know uh, the record keeping maybe uh, 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 david you can you can explain this um, I thought it was something of the of the past uh, in terms of the record uh, keeping and the availability of record uh, for the AG. Anytime they're looking for a certain record that they must be available. If there isn't that, uh, maybe Mr. Mpello can explain more detail about it. 
Yes, we have There's no way that we can work on a basis that I know if, uh, we're making decisions that are contested in court, they must be supported by something. That is going to be a decision that has been made on that particular matter and clear records, clear record and minutes and the minutes that are assigned by the particular structure that was responsible in making such a decision. So, but maybe can uh, David, if David can, can help uh, explain this, well, certainly we're gonna follow it up um, uh, because this is not what we expected to hear today about uh, the continuation of this problem. Mr. Impello, please confirm if the issue of record keeping has been addressed. Uh, there is a difference between the year under review that we're reporting on and where we are today. If I look at when we activated the cloud, as we said, that was on the, in the second, second half of the year under review. So all the stuff that we did with this board uh, will be in there and recorded as such. But majority of the stuff that were done prior to this board will be on paper. So we've activated the cloud. We've given access to users to, 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 to keep their records in there. We are scanning. We've got a scanning environment for stuff that's got papers to have a digital trail going forward. So when we look at where we are today, that is not the problem. The biggest problem is where, where AG would have come in and looked at what happened before the cloud environment was activated? We still remain with a lot of paperwork going backwards, more so in the repeat findings, if I need to mention that. But what are we doing about it today? We're doing the, what we refer to as back scanning of that entire paperwork. And you can imagine for so many years without having a digital environment, the paper environment will be very big. So we, we've allocated each department uh, uh, digital storage, if I'm to put it that way, uh, to scan, back scan all the paperwork and all the records that we can get out of that are in paper form, so that we can then have a digital trail and take all these papers uh, into archive. So that is our biggest challenge. But going forward, we've got a, a, a document management, a doc document and records management environment. We've got a cloud environment as well. So our meetings are held uh, virtually and recorded as well. So are the minutes produced in that environment. And when they are signed, they then remain into the, in those folders. So where we sit in March, 2022, that is not the problem. But going backwards in terms of finding records that were produced before this was activated, that is the problem. Are we doing anything about it in terms of making sure that going backwards, we can retrieve and recover some of those documents that are in paper form? Yes, we are. Is it fast enough? It's not fast enough because of the amount of paperwork that we currently have in this environment. We have gone to a point where we even uh, uh, going to bring interns so that they come in and focus on back scanning and making sure that whatever we can lay our hands on in a paper form is, 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 is converted into a digital environment and it goes into this implemented 
uh, electronic document and records management system. Thank you, Khatib. For us as the committee to be able to find comfort as to whether or not things are improving, we we'll, we'll place our reliance on the audit outcomes. What AG gives as an audit opinion will tell us whether or not there has been improvement. When it comes to irregular expenditure, the Auditor General states the following. The group did not have an adequate system for identifying and disclosing all irregular expenditure, and there were no satisfactory alternative procedures that I could perform to obtain reasonable assurance that all expenditure had been properly recorded in note 41. Now, this is the similar case in previous financial year. You don't have system in place to identify and disclose irregular expenditure. For how long are we going to continue in this trajectory? Because all we are hearing is that we are trying, but the results are indicating otherwise. Talking about irregular expenditure now, do you have systems in place that will make the situation as reflected under the financial year uh, on review to change? This is the similar situation when it comes to fruitless and wasteful expenditure. Mr. Mpello and the chairperson of the board. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Hatebe. Um, I think that uh, we, the issue that we need to acknowledge is that we have inherited a situation that has been uh, very, very awkward, which obviously, uh, being the board now, we're inheriting the good and the bad of the, of the past. You would, you, I would agree that uh, there has been a problem with the irregular expenditure. To an extent that when we arrived here, it was probably in the 20 or 29 or 28 billion of irregular expenditure, which was just accumulating going forward. But obviously, when we arrived, we, we then set the, the rules that we need to deal with this particular pest, uh, particular problem. And those rules are found in the National Treasury, uh, National Treasury Regulation, as well as in the PMFA as to what entity should do when it comes to the issues like this. That is why we today have, uh, because we had to do the work of looking at how do we address all this irregular expenditure? Can we account that uh, service was, was, was rendered or goods were, were, were received? So we went through the tedious process of actually asking those questions in terms of the template in order for us to be able to ask or to apply for condonation on that when we confirm that indeed this was irregular in terms of the procedures, but the goods were received and the goods were utilized. So that I think has seen uh, uh, last year, we have submitted a condonation application to the order of about 12 billion right, out of what we have inherited. And recognizing the problem of the past and recognizing because this is now part of the 
fruitless expenditure, regular expenditure, they get into that bulk. So far, in terms of the, the work that we have been able to do, looking back two years, in terms of addressing this uh, 20, 29 billion of uh, uh, irregular expenditure, we have been able to bring that down. But obviously, that will be finalized by the by National Treasury once they are satisfied with uh, what we have done in terms of it. Now, linked to the, the work that has been done so far is basically detection, making sure that we are able to detect that uh, this is going to be regular, this is fruitless, and that happens in the process of the team that works on this, and finance team in particular. I think that um, we, we, the, what we have been assured is that these are the things of the past. Going forward, there is a detection process that happens because you have now the appropriate managers at the appropriate positioning. So I think, David, you can you can add on that, but I, I took a line to explain to the honorable members uh, and the chair that, yes, we have inherited the situation. Now we have... Um, uh, we can prove that in the documentation that from what we had uh, in, uh, found in terms of this irregular expenditure process has now been brought down uh, to X amount of uh, in terms of the application that we have done. And that has been followed or led by a rigorous process of determining whether the goods have been received or not received in order to determine that this completely is going to be something uh, that we can vouch for, which is what we have already vouched for about 12 billion in terms of uh, this amount. Uh, Mr. Ankelo, you can maybe just summarize the what is the going forward? What are these detection and what is this uh, procedure that help us to detect immediately on this? Okay. Three pillars into that uh, into this uh, bungan. One, you've referred to the existence of a system. So system is a, is the first pillar. Second pillar is the policies, processes, and controls. And the last pillar is the the, the, the culture itself. So let me start with the systems bungan. The systems we run a, a an SAP environment that manages our, uh, basically our ERP, which includes contracts management and, and finances. So that's pretty matured and it's not in, known in the market. We, however, get exposed when we have uh, legacy systems like our, our real estate uh, uh, application that's currently sitting there. It can be easily bypassed, it's old, and most majority of these that are old would have gone through that un, un, undetected. What are we doing about it? We are in the process of upgrading our SEP environment as we speak in three fronts. One is the financial controls, and the other one is the SCM controls plus the contracts management. So that will bring about the automated detection in terms of, of, of trying to bring something that's not approved or where a contract does not exist so that you can start asking the questions. And whoever bypasses that, you can easily then pull out a journal and pick up and detect that something has happened and who did that when you can then follow up on the why. Policies, processes, and controls. Uh, we've taken a view with the internal audit team 
that we're going to run a consultative environment. So 70-30, 30% auditing, 70% consultative in trying to rebuild the control environment. Policies as we speak, I think the, the, the board is hard on us in making sure that all the policies are signed off, they are updated if they need to be updated and make sure that they are recorded as such. On the culture part, uh, we have to bring in consequence management right up front so that people know and understand that when they by bypass this and it's unrecorded, it's not highlighted, it's going to be dealt with. So those are the three pillars that we have in place at the moment. Did we have that in the in the period under review or in the period that we're reporting on? I think a component of that, but we still had the old legacy systems in that environment. We are now converting going forward. We're implementing that. Policies, if you look back, historical, some of them were there, some of them are, are new going forward, which we've, we've just introduced and the board has signed that off. On the repeat uh, findings like the long-term big contracts that are carrying through from one year into another, it will continue like that right up until we either have condoned or regularized it and it's a process on its own. Some of these are taking a little bit longer to, 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 to resolve and regularize. But culture-wise, we're dealing with it uh, and, and we'll, we'll consequence management harshly on, on, on that and the management and the expo as we sit, have got that commitment to do that. System-wise, we're busy improving that. As we speak, we're upgrading that and we're moving all the legacies and consolidating everything onto a, a, a SAP environment where we know it's got the matured uh, uh, way of managing that. Thank you, Bungan. Um, thank you. You see, there, there's a huge difference uh, between what people say and what actually happen in, in, in reality. I'm raising this because the Auditor General under consequence management states that disciplinary steps were not taken against official who incurred irregular expenditure. And he has gone further to recommend that all reported irregular fruitless and useful expenditure must be investigated. And has also given um, a, a, a directive to both the board and senior management in terms of this matter, um, to say uh, you must ensure that you deal with these matters. Have you investigated all the irregular expenditure as highlighted under this financial year? Mr. Mpelo, can you jump into that? Chair and uh, Honourable Fateb, uh, I go back and say the, the year under review, uh, yes, it was such a picture. Where we are today, it's a very different picture on, in terms of consequence management. Uh, I'll go back into the presentation I made, Honourable Fateb, when we, we were doing the oversight. We had three tables where we indicated the major con contracts, which was Sifambo, Siangena, and I think Ispingo. And we highlighted quite a number of executives that were currently either out of the system, others that are currently going through disciplinary processes, and also others that have been uh, fired uh, uh, because uh, of, of Mr. Mpello, the, the response I'm expecting is what the AG has recommended 
has all instances of irregular, fruitless and wasteful expenditure been investigated as per the recommendation? Have you investigated everything? Just a yes or no, or if you want to expandate in terms of your response, please do so. But what I'm interested in is to find out whether or not you've investigated all irregular expenditure. The previous ones, yes, Khatebe. Uh, the current ones that have been highlighted as part of this audit, which are newer ones, we are in the process of that analysis at the moment. So you are in the process of analyzing, you have not done anything other than... So that analysis... Yes, proceed, sorry for interjecting. So that analysis then talks to the investigation as well. Uh, and again, dependent on whether it's, it's it's a criminality or not, where it will end up in the in the in the different institutions. But that which we we can deal with internally, it's going to be part of that analysis, so that we can then go through through that process. And that is based simply based on what this this new audit, based on the year under review, is going to push out. But all the previous ones, you would have seen that the previous ones we've acted and we've reported as such as requested. And that's where, uh, as per the minister's re opening remarks, that's where you see the 44 uh, individuals that were implicated by the SIU report we've acted on. The, the ones that were impl implicated in, in Siangena we've acted on. In Swifambo, the same. Isipingo, the same. There are other small little ones as well. We've acted on those. But on the newer ones, we are in that process, Bunga. So the 44, it's all inclusive. 44, they were based on the, the SIU report and, and the, the long outstanding report that they had to undertake. Uh, they are now in the process. Uh, uh, 11 of those, as per the minister's summary, 11 of those have been out of the system already. We're currently de dealing with 33 of those as we speak, 14 of which have been suspended, and the balance is currently going through through uh, different stages of disciplinary process. We are unfortunately cannot disclose their names as so that we can then manage uh, exposure to litigation accordingly, but as soon as we're done in there, we'll be able to share with, with Scopa on where we are and who's been who's been dealt with. No, no fair enough. Um, Chair of the board, in terms of your responsibility, the AG has recommended that the board must exercise oversight regarding the corrective action to address this matter. Have you done so? Are you comfortable with what the acting group CEO is indicating to us? Well, thank you very much, uh, Honorable, Honorable Hadel. Uh, yeah, let me start somewhere else. Um, I, I need to say our audit uh, has been, was delayed. We, the audit has been finalized uh, in December and then finalized final with the engagement with the AG in January. So it, in all fairness, I think that um, we must not create a picture that everything that is in this latest financial audit uh, that has already been dealt with, because some of it uh, is new, is newer, 
and that, uh, of course, we will have to deal with the fine uh, tooth comb in terms of making sure that all of that has been taken care of. So I would hate to leave your impression that everything that uh, has uh, been audited uh, has already been finalized. However, I must also add that I think the group uh, is correct to say um, all the, the two years and the three years that were in fact a backlog on the findings of the AG, many of those findings that inclusive of the irregular expenditure, inclusive of uh, people who acted outside of the uh, authority, all of that has been summarized in <clears throat> 44. Of it, that's inclusive of the the PP as well as the uh, the SIU. All of that, in terms of one, the actions that we are taking that of the 44, that was all inclusive. There may well be another uh, that comes out of the the recent audit that uh, will find its way to be able to deal with that. So I think the the to is correct to say that the the audit. Uh, committee, the task team that has been mentioned, so they will have to make sure that uh, whatever is found by the AG in this latest audit um, statement, that that also find its way into the actions of the 44 in terms of taking action. So so that from our side, Honorable uh, 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 is that we, we, we demand a report from, from ARC in terms of what has been done because it's falling in that particular community. So they must regularly come to the board and explain where they are in terms of this particular matter. So that oversight is, is important going forward, but we located that in the in the appropriate committee where this particular matters are handled. So that's what I thought I must just uh, give that explanation so that uh, you, you, you don't tie us into a belt of saying you have done everything when there's something else that may, may not necessarily have finalized in terms of the new audit. I'm comfortable in the explanation. Fair enough. Because um, um, all these are the recommendations and they're specific on who needs to do it. So if indeed you have exercised oversight and you have conducted some consequence management, you will then be in a position to respond to the concern as highlighted by the Auditor General that there are some construction contracts that were awarded to contractors that were not registered with the CIDB and did not qualify for contracts. Who are these contracts? How many contracts are we talking about? And what has been done in this regard? And why was it allowed for contractors who are not registered with the CIDP board to be awarded contracts based on your oversight and your consequence management you should then be in a position to give me um, an indication of what is it that we're talking about here in relation to those contractors thank you mr pello the contractor specifically uh, that has been mentioned can we um, explain that part? Chair. OK. 
can I go through the list? Uh, yes, we can. Um, if I look at, sorry, apologies. I'm saying please proceed, yes. Thank you, Mashash. Uh, so one, if I'm to start in the list based on the, the, the presentation we provided, because we've got around uh, seven or eight slides highlighting those. It was uh, premier field uh, on the listing of the locomotives for MLPS uh, to the tune of 20, 28 million rands. It was Transnet itself to the tune of 1.1 billion. Uh, uh, and, and, and we had to go for expansion on those. Uh, again, premier field uh, following subsequent uh, year uh, uh, for the tune of 22 million rands. But that uh, again, I must highlight, uh, Chair, that it was that's a repeat because we needed to continue with the service while we were busy regularizing that. So we we had to go and regularize that through through a deviation uh, submission to National Treasury. So there is that, uh, and then there is GVK Siazama of for for Isipingo, and that's one of the consequence management that comes with that as well. And there's a list. Associated with who was who was uh, 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 dealt with in there is to the tune of around two hundred sixty-eight million. Um, the cleaning services in Cape Town uh, uh, around twenty-eight million. That was bid 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 vest services. Uh, again, an amount of of of, of a variation of 4.4 4, 4 million that needed to be to be regularized, but it was approved through an an, an extension. Uh, this and there's a whole list I can go through that if 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 need be, but we have visibility to that. We know which ones, and we can we can put values on those. So, uh, so you're saying, you saying all this uh, uh, that you are mentioning? Saying how many are they? Seventeen or how many contractors are we talking about? Uh, Who were awarded contracts without registering with CIB, CIDP? The number. Sorry, Pungani, I'm trying to pull that information out now. Um, Annette, can you quickly put the, pull that out? Okay, while uh, that has been done, so the officials and the bid committees that um, conducted this irregularity, what has been done with them? Have you identified the responsible persons? Um, are they still... Uh, continuing to do the bid evaluation and awarding contracts? Are they part of the procurement uh, supply chain uh, processes? How many on, officials on, are, are on, in the so, uh, so, just, so. just the, the figure of how many officials are implicated. Um, what's their current status um, in relation to supply chain and the bid adjudication committee? So on all the newer ones, uh, which are which have been churned out out of this uh, audit uh, chair, uh, as I said, we're still going through that analysis to look at who and which contracts so that we can then take them into the process. That's on the newer ones. The older ones, uh, uh, are the ones that we, we, we've identified and we know which ones they are, 
and they are they are going through process. But the newer ones, as as they released by this audit, are the ones that we're going to go through and make sure that they go through the process. But those that you have completed, what happened to those officials? You you said you have uh, completed all the investigation in the uh, previous financial year, except the financial year under review. I'm trying to ascertain whether or not these repeat findings are not as a result of these officials who continuously uh, neglect uh, or deliberately ignore the supply chain management policies. So all the old ones, Bungane, they've been dealt with. As I gave an example, Isipingo is one of those uh, uh, in the, yes, in the construction. In, in relation to the officials involved. Yes, they've been dealt with. All the I've old been, ones have been dealt with. When you're saying dealt with, what was the sanction? How many officials were involved? Are they still uh, adjudicating? Were they given written warning? Were they, um, I'm, I'm not getting, remember what I'm saying, the AG says disciplinary steps were not taken against officials who had incurred irregular, fruitless and wasteful expenditure. I'm trying to ascertain whether or not uh, this concern has changed. And if it has changed, uh, it, you have to demonstrate based on your disciplinary outcomes. We have disciplined um, 12 officials who awarded contracts of contractors that did not register with the CIDB. We have uh, disciplined so many contract, I mean, officials who awarded contract without the, the three code system and all that. I, I, I need to ascertain whether or not the concern as raised by the AG has been addressed. It's not, it's not enough to say yes. Uh, okay, uh, I get I get where where you're coming from, uh, uh, honourable member. On the newer ones, uh, uh, that spreadsheet in terms of the charges associated with each of the individuals is what we're going through. We will change that out and then put them onto the process and the charges. On the older ones, if I look at Isipingo as an example, honourable member. Uh, a senior manager, a manager, uh, an executive, uh, two managers and junior officials in, in Spingo all have been dis uh, charged uh, uh, in terms of our disciplinary code. Uh, uh, internal hearing in some of them were concluded November 2021. Uh, there are others that are still pending as we speak. They're still on suspension as we go through the CCMA and mediation and arbitration accordingly. There are also others that have been that have been uh, 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 um, let go as well. That's just Isipingo as an example on the older ones. The newer ones, we is the analysis that we're going to take a similar approach and a and a, and a similar uh, process based on the disciplinary uh, process, honourable member. Okay, I will appreciate that the report and. I still don't understand why would Auditor General arrive at this conclusion, unless you are saying to us um, all these um, investigation and disciplinary process were conducted after uh, AG has tabled the report. But let us await the, the report to be finished to us. Uh, it will indicate whether or not 
you have been able to do as um, advised by the Auditor General. Can we then tackle the issue of uh, MIs, the immaterial irregularities? Can you just uh, give, give us a sense of um, the process currently in terms of addressing the findings of the Auditor General? No, thank you very much, Honorable Hadel. The, the MI process uh, in terms of the uh, AG um, and the requirement uh, from PASA in terms of the what is happening. Um, I, we, we have in fact submitted uh, to the AG on all the, uh, the material irregularities uh, issues. Um, for relying on my, my memory, I think there were about 17 of those um, that uh, we required to give detailed account in each of those findings. Um, I think we, we are, for where the board supposed to take action, I have submitted a report uh, to, the, to the AG around all of those um, um, material uh, irregularities. Uh, and up to a point of, because some of the SIU matters uh, were part of those, up to a point where we had to explain individual, those 43 or 44 or 33 of them, what actions are we taking on all of those? So obviously um, there's a process. Once we have submitted the response to the, to the AG, to the, the committee that, that deals with that process, from our side, we, we uh, unless advised otherwise, we we have done and given a full explanation for the AG being able to come back and say what we're not clear about this particular explanation. Tell us what is going to happen. So we try to answer all those questions openly and honestly about what actions we are taking. So I don't know, Honorable Hattie, if um, uh, we... We could, I could uh, ask that we submit to you. So, Chair, for, for an example, uh, the first MI, the unfair procurement processes uh, when you're purchasing locomotives and the likely 2.2 billion losses, the AG at the end is saying, um, as Mr. At the date of this audit report, I did not receive a response from an accounting authority regarding the implementation of the remedial action, which was the 15th of December, 2021. I will follow up on this matter after the date of this audit. Let's deal with specifics now. Okay. Now, the, the, in, the, in the explanation of the uh, MI, uh, particularly around the issues of the kind of locomotives. Um, we provided an explanation uh, in full detail. Let me just take you through that in a summarized way. We, we, we said- So, so, so in, essence, in essence, what I'm looking for, have you 
forwarded the response in terms of the remedial action. On the we, we now know that on the 15th of December 2021, you did not do so. And the AG was meant to make a follow-up. Have you done so? Yes. I have done that. When when was it? Might be, may well be after the 15th of December, but it was done. No, it was done. I definitely did that. It was the only one that was outstanding, actually. We can forward you a copy of the explanation on this one, of what where I explained, um, because I don't have it right here in front of me now, but I know I did that. So, so you have, you have implemented the remedial actions. We have implemented the remedial actions as we see it, because the issue was, what are you going to do about these issues? And that explanation in the response to the AG was in fact submitted. Yes. Okay, and 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 the remaining of the MIs. The remaining of the MIs, as I indicated, uh, Honourable Hadebe, we have uh, responded on all the MI that this is the action that PRASA is taking on this it's as a board. This is the action we support and be taken on all of them. Now, if the, the issue has been that maybe we did not have a follow-up engagement with the AG, it's possible that the responses that they have, we have given them on all of them are not necessarily satisfactory to, to the AG, but we haven't got to that stage where we're now saying, this one we agree, this one we don't agree. So I mean, we will have to follow up on the AG whether they, there's something that they don't agree with on these responses that we have given uh, to them in terms of the MI. So uh, matters where you have um, asked SIU to investigate uh, the uh, matters that were approved by the president dating on the 13th of August 2019. Um, and at the time of the reporting, the matter was still in progress. Are there any matters that have been finalized in this regard? Uh, the one that I'm referring to now, it's a competitive bid process not being followed in the appointment of the general overhaul and upgrade of uh, upgrade contract, the payment that excess of 2.7 billion. Is this matter still under investigation or has it been finalized? The, the issue, uh, Honorable Chair, the issue about uh, compliance with the policy compliance with the policy, the dating policy and the procurement. Uh, that, that area has, uh, in terms of the policy has been concluded, has been finalized. The, everybody that is in that space understand what must be done by that particular person to comply. The, the GO, um, we're making reference to a GO here, and is, the, is what the findings of the AG had said that uh, they were all irregular. That is now going back 2016, I guess, 2016. All of that uh, has now been, the policy has been straightened up in terms of making sure that these don't come back again. So there has not been any NGO from that period because they were all canceled. And now we only are getting into, because we have now policy that has uh, been finalized, to make sure that there isn't the things that happened before doesn't happen again. 
uh, in terms of moving forward. So, so that's where we are with regard to this. Many of those issues that uh, Auditor General find were linked to the absence of not clear policy around what, what has to happen and people just doing what they needed to do uh, and then violation of the procurement policies that take took place at that time. I can say to you that we have closed the space on that going forward in terms of the GO, in terms of uh, making sure that everything, the T's have been crossed appropriately. No, thanks. Chair, I will be done if the Auditor General can confirm that indeed um, the outstanding remedial action has been um, submitted accordingly and I will hand over to you to take back your meeting, Chair. So if the Auditor General can please come in and um, respond to this uh, 2.2 billion uh, likely loss in terms of unfair procurement processes when it comes to locomotives. AG. Good morning, Chairperson and, and, and members of the committee. It's Kumari Naik from the Auditor General. I can confirm that we have received the responses uh, regarding the remedial action. We have requested additional information which is currently being assessed by the team. So yes, that information has been provided to us in terms of the remedial action. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, um, AG. And I think just one last concern uh, on my side, it's uh, the submission of your annual financial statement, which contain a material misstatement and the reliance on the audit process to correct those material misstatement. Have you put measures in place to make sure that in future you will eradicate completely the reliance on Auditor General in submitting a financial statement that are proper and in accordance to the prescribed audit standards. Thank you, Honourable we, 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 we have had a, a quite hard chat talk about this particular question, about the misstatement, the material misstatement. And this is a function of um, another skill, set of skills that you required in the finance to be able to do that. We have acknowledged or we have recognized that um, we are found wanting with respect to that and that we need to make sure that that division of uh, PRASA in terms of uh, finances is jacked up by the appropriate uh, capabilities and requisite skills. Um, this is what we are dealing with right now in terms of the secondment, so that we are able to, to minimize these kind. I mean, you can't wait, expect, uh, or be expecting the AG to be the one that uh, detect the misstatement. However, when we approve the statement uh, for submission on the 31st of, May, on 31st of May, 2021, we brought this to the attention of the AG that much as we are submitting this, we are informed that uh, there will be 
adjustment on the financial statement. So the prior warning was given that this is the, the, the reason was provided why that would be the case. And our from the board side, we did not believe it's a reliance that uh, the AG is the one that must do that. But the people in finance uh, brought that to our attention that because of these reasons, this statement is uh, is going to be, have to be adjusted going forward. And um, we can only give you an undertaking, Chair, that uh, with the effort that we are putting together about the capacity of that particular uh, section of our work, must minimize this part. It can't be the work of the AG to detect those. It has to be a proper statement as it issued out based on the directives of the PMFA. Okay. I'm raising this because for the past four financial years, this issue has remained unresolved. Are we going to experience the same in the next cycle of audit? Or you can uh, at least give us comfort that there will be changes, or you are still trying to resolve the matter and you are unable to give um, assurance that uh, come the next cycle, this won't be an issue. Um, Honorable Latabet, if I may request that you wind down so that. Yeah, it's, it's my last question, Chair. And okay. after the, the response, I, you can take over your meeting. Sure. No, let me just say, Honorable um, on that last question, so going forward, we can be, be assured that the uh, situation is going to change. Yes, the answer is yes. Um, but uh, we can say, because we are working on this and we, have, we are paying attention to it, the detail of this. So there has to be change on it. So, so yes, I'm giving the answer that yes, going forward it has to change because we've already identified as a, as a risk area of work. Uh, so, Honorable uh, may I say in the parting short that um, the the we the degree of the problem will be reduced drastically because we are working on this particular one. Um, but perhaps uh, it will be a, a dangerous uh, route to take to say there will be no adjustment that uh, Editor General will identify because that's a, that's a, that's a, a, a problem that you will, 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 will use as, as a sort tomorrow. Because normally the, the identification of misstatement uh, happens and sometimes it happens with the agreement of the AG when they're doing the audit process. So uh, please uh, accept that we are we are committed, we want to change it, and we are doing something about it. And that's what we're going to be able to give you as, an, as a response. Uh, thank you very much. Now, thank you, Mr. Uh, Ramatlagane, um, the head of the Accounting Authority, and thank you to Mr. Mpelo. Um, Chairperson, over to you. We'll be watching these matters with keen interest to see if there's any improvement and we'll act as such um, in an event that um, there's something that warrants our attention. Thank you so much, um, Honorable Chair. Over to you. Thank you much, Honorable Hattebe. Um, all right, Honorable Liz.
Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and good day to everyone present. Um, Mr. Chairman, I, I just want to to just make sure people understand terminology. There's been reference made to the theft of scrap metal and scrap cables. It's not scrap. It's very, very good material, which is then turned into scrap. Um, but the point really is, as has been made by the presenters, is that this is massively profitable business. Um, and so I just, I'd like to, I'll get to my question now with a little bit of indulgence, Mr. Chairman. Um, my, my son was hijacked on the N12 about a year ago by the members of the police force with sirens and, and he and another motorist were held in the felt at gunpoint for about four hours. Um, their vehicles were, the, were then ripped apart and taken away and they were left in the dark in the felt they knew not where um, with their hands cable tied behind their back. They then stumbled through in the darkness and, and came across a, a, a community, um, a rural community um, at about two o'clock in the morning. And they knocked on doors and no one, no one was prepared to open the door just to cut the cable ties and let them use a telephone. Mr. Chairman, why I'm narrating the story is that much has been made about community um, guarding the, the, the Prasa assets. And I, I don't understand how this can be the solution. Here you have two people with their hands cable tied behind their backs, whom the community were too scared to assist, and yet we think that the community is now going to come out and protect assets from very well-organized, highly armed gangs or individuals, and that's going to solve the problem. I don't know on what basis that kind of assumption is being made. So I'd like to hear, uh, Mr. Chairman, and I have a few other questions if I may, but I'd like to hear how the, um, the, the work with the community is actually going to prevent this wholesale looting of very valuable assets. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, let's get responses to that. And Honorable Liz, you will just continue with your questions so we can manage time um, as soon as you get responses. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Sorry. May I, Chair? Uh, yes, please. Okay. Now, uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Honorable East. Um, the what what we are saying, um, we identify force multiplier in the form of involving or getting the community to participate in 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 the knowledge of what happens in their communities. We, we believe that um, if we have information about the culprits or people who steals, and that information, if it's readily available, community members, and, and we are not asking community members to become police 
or to become security. All what we are saying is that in the partnership and force multiplier aspect, that information that we require for our security and for our police is always going to come from communities who lives in the area where they can see who's selling or who's bringing um, the, the, the cables or who where the frequency of the cable takes place. So, so in this, not a reliance, it's a, it's, a, it's a part of the puzzle, part of the information that you require. In order to arrest something, somebody, you've got to get an information. And we believe that communities are the best uh, repository of that particular information. And I don't want to uh, uh, belittle what you've just said about the people that, uh, in fact, your son plus someone else, sorry about that, that they were tired and nobody wanted to open up their doors at 2 o'clock in the morning. But what we um, are talking about is something that there is at least some evidence of the role of communities in the crime fighting that it it helps to provide information without endangering uh, communities in terms of becoming or turning them into a police officers. They can't be. So that's the uh, um, our understanding of it, and it's obviously going to be tested to get evidence that actually it happens. It happens when the communities are telling the security of Prasa that so many uh, of these people in this uh, particular communities have this information, like what we have been doing in the scrap metal in Gauteng with the minister. That kind of information, the raw information about where and who comes from those communities that are interacting with our security department at at that particular location. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you very much. Um, So it's it's really an an information gathering thing and, and, and its success um, has yet to be tested. And, and my experience of this kind of information is that you need to produce, you need to recruit informers, um, you need to pay them. Um, it's much more than simply having community meetings. Those are seldom, seldom successful, but be that as, as it may. Mr. Chairman, the period under review is the 2021 year a year that PRASA, um, to all intents and purposes, was, was shut down. Um, and, 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 and this is evidenced by the, the, the revenue from fares dropping to a, a very small 178 million rand for the year, um, as compared with taxpayer subsidies of a 11.7 billion rand, which was um, made available to to PRASA. Um, so during that year, the expenditure on employees amounted to 5.8 billion rand. So pretty much most of the the taxpayer money went to to employees. My question then is, what were these employees doing? And we know that as of February this year, there were 16,700 employees. What were these employees doing during this year and why were they not put onto the TERS program? 
Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Lees. Well, there is a, a commitment that uh, employers and employees make in the relationship of work being a worker. Now, PASA, um, as you say, it was in fact uh, shut down during that period, given that it has been discovered and um, it did not necessarily uh, say to the employees that we're going to have to pay you a short time. And uh, they, they continue to receive salaries um, as, as if they, they were employed. And I think uh, this is a subject to, for the acting group to confirm. Now, if the situation, uh, because the COVID, uh, nobody knew in terms of COVID, when is it going to be better? When is it going to be? Um, and the work, the employee were working from home um, because obviously the country was at some point completely shut down. So, so the issue here is that the Prasa did not say, or Prasa and the workers who has an arrangement with Prasa as a as employer has to say, let's cut off, let's have a half of 50% of the salary because there is no trains are not moving, you know, driving trains, and therefore there's no income. That that didn't happen. That is why obviously the bill of uh, Prasa will continue to go up. But whilst we are down on that issue, remember we said that we already identified top heavy structure, that Prasa structurally there's too many people in Prasa, and that's why we now have to rationalize it based on this new model, new functioning model. And that new functioning model, earlier I said, it will base, it will intimidate, in fact, it will include the issue around the merchant place. Those that are not as surplus would obviously either go through the section 189 of the Labor Relations Act. That is what we're going to do to address this particular bloated uh, salary on, on, of, the, of the employee. But as a, the short question to your answer, to, I mean, the short uh, answer to your question is, there, there, there was no 50% in, uh, salary uh, as per what was happening probably in the private sector, that some of the employer employer did not necessarily continue to commit in paying salaries while there was a lockdown. But uh, David, maybe you can help in terms of if I have uh, missed the point and uh, help honorable uh, uh, release with that 5.8 billion rent. What were the workers doing during that period? And honorable lease. Um, I think COVID has taught the, the, the broader industry across the board, not only rail, uh, a, a number of lessons. Um, we, out of that, uh, probably out of those lessons, will depending on what we've learned out of that and who was effective, who's at the core, who's not at the core. But pretty much uh, uh, not knowing when COVID was going to stop, we couldn't go and get rid of our staff complement, not knowing what effort it's going to take to try and bring the, the service up. It would have been such a risk uh, doing that. Either discouraging them uh, by cutting their salary at the time, not knowing and not being able to predict when COVID was going to end, and find ourselves when we need to recover, 
needing the same skill that we've disposed of. So it, it wouldn't have been private sector as well when they went through what they went through. They've had to do uh, starting by, by reducing by 20%. But in that, they were doing risk management as well, which is not the path that we took. So we we took it. It's it's gonna it's gonna be something that we need to recover uh, very soon, but we had not gone through the exercise to say these people we don't need in the middle of COVID and we can recover later when COVID is gone and when we need them. It's not an approach that we had. It's not a method that we had. So we we had to continue up until to a point where we knew this is where we are. And if you look at where we are today. Yes, we've spent 5.8 billion, but we had to prepare ourselves for the date when we needed to 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 recover the service. Uh, going forward, can we rationalize? Yes, we can, but it's also got to be informed by what we require and not necessarily by another pandemic. Um, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I, I just, the only reason that you, you adopted this approach was because the taxpayer essentially bailed you out. I mean, that's, so, so you had money, you didn't have to bother about trading to get, uh, to get the revenue, you simply took money from the taxpayer. Now, I, I mean, that's just incredulous, and it's, and Mr. Chairman, it's, it's a consequence of, of the state trying to run enterprises um, in this way, but nevertheless, it, um, there's, there was no financial pressure on PRASA um, as, as there is in the private sector. And despite the government coming to the party with the TERS program, um, PRASA chose just to take the full salary and, and those poor South Africans who were unemployed had to live on 350 rand a month whilst PRASA employees and executives got their full pay. And I understand about scarce skills, but the fact is that even now, in, at the end of the next financial year, your operations are still a fraction of what they should be. And yet you still have those employees and staff numbers that you had, and you're still talking about rationalization. Um, so, Mr. Chairman, I, I don't have another question on that point, but I just find it incredible that... Um, that the taxpayer can be uh, looted in this way, just as the infrastructure at PRASA has been looted. Mr. Chairman, the last um, question then from me is, uh, could, could we just get a, a um, position uh, on where we are with the locos that were had to be modified to fit our, our system? Um, where are those locos now? Um, how many have now been modified? How many have been delivered to South Africa of the modified ones? Um, uh, so if, if we could just get an update on that. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Honorable Lise. Uh, should, should I go ahead? Please do. Please. Okay, I see the hand. Okay, no, uh, no release. Um, yes, that's uh, that's that's uh, that's. We, I I try to explain uh, what uh, has uh, in fact happened. 
and practically um, uh, no employer has um, right to just uh, unilateral decisions that seeks to amend the condition of employment of any employee. Uh, that has to be negotiated in the forum that they are. In this case, when when the country was shut down, there was no space for that engagement to happen or to predict that we need to happen. All I can say is that um, material condition that uh, we were under uh, did not allow that to happen. And maybe going forward, is part of the things that must happen in the bargaining forum to say in the event that this happens, what do we do? In that way, it provides a stability of management and employee in terms of where we're going in the future. But um, all I can say is to provide that answer to say this is at least what we could do and it's the honest answers that we can give you in terms of what we could not do under that circumstances but because we were trying also to avoid instability in terms of uh, worker management relationship problems. Now, moving quickly to the, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree that uh, there was a looting or that we have driven the looting of public resource in this particular way, um, but I leave it there. On the issue of locals, we, have been in a discussion, as you can remember, just take your step back. The, the locals and what happens going forward after the contract was set aside was given to a liquidator, a liquidator to liquidate and make sure that it, it recoup the money that uh, the state has paid the 2.2 or 2.6, 2.6 to be precise, recoup it and that they will start off by selling locals as a way to begin to help Prasa to recoup his, uh, the resource that were taken out. Out of that process, the locals, some locals were sold. In fact, six locals were sold, and they only generated for the six locals something like 65 million rand in terms of the total. Now that uh, 65 million rand in engagement with the, with the, with the, uh, the uh, liquidator, that's funny liquidator, they, they from themselves, they said, we can't proceed with this selling because we're giving away the locals. Six locals, a 65 million rand is giveaway. So let's find a different way of Prasa regaining back the money that is lost. That took us into a tripartite discussion uh, between the parties affected with the look, with the remembering that Twani is the one that has been given this responsibility. Twani liquidator leading in the process that the, the way we are going, we are losing. We're not going to be able to recoup. There must be a best, better way to do it. And those local, the best way to do it is to enter into a tripartite agreement and then go to the, the high court to make that tripartite agreement an order of court in terms of how to we then utilize the, ex, the, the remaining locals. There are 23 locomotives which we have been engaging with uh, Stetler, Stetler being a company 
who bought the liquidator Poslo uh, to say we 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 need um, locals in South Africa. We went to have a meeting with the with the statler to say we want these locals to come back to South Africa so that we are utilizing them. And uh, the whatever modification that has been done, uh, the report was written by RSR to that to that effect. And that uh, is something that has been taken care of. They agreed, uh, the Statler now, to whatever effect, whatever changes that as, uh, RSR will suggest that it should be done, they will do it. The only thing that is standing between us and that is the agreement, is going to court or getting a date from the judge president or deputy president about the date when this matter can come to court, where the tripartite or commercial agreement would have then been finalized, that would be made a court, an order of court. That will then open and block the waiting by the statler to start uh, doing the normal routine um, uh, workshopping of the or, or adjusting the trains or something on the on the locals itself. They only waiting for that agreement. So that all the parties must sign in that agreement, and then they will start. We had given them six months. We said we want the locals back in South Africa in six months, so that we can then start uh, stop leasing locals when we have locals. This approach was going to, in fact, is going to bring us um, 1.1 billion in terms of the, the locals that we are going to get back, this 1.1 billion, plus what, uh, another program that we, uh, uh, training of drivers doing all of this workshopping. It is two year program that takes us, uh, that gives us 1.1 billion. We, we believed, thought, and included uh, in it that this is the best way to, recover some of these and then be able to utilize the locals in our, in, our, in the country itself. We, we have, in fact, reported this uh, to the committee in parliament as well, as well as the uh, department in terms of these are the best options forward. And uh, this is what we, at the moment, are just waiting for. We are told that by April, uh, by the world, look for the date with the judge president for the for the commercial agreement to be finalized or to be made a court order or of court. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Lees. Um, Mr. Chairman, so if, if I can just follow up a little bit there. So essentially the response is that we've made no progress since the last time we had a, a, a report on this and that the reason for that is we're waiting for the courts. So, um, what have we made an urgent application to court to handle the matter? Um, and if so, what was the outcome? If not, why not? No, Honorable Lisa, what maybe I didn't explain this uh, better. I'm saying that since we had uh, had a discussion with the SCOPA on this, we have undertaken a, a, a trip to Spain to go and discuss this particular matter with the Statler leadership. And we have also brought in along with us the technical committee of PASA in South Africa to for the checking of 
whether the things that the RSR has identified as a challenges has been addressed. That has happened. It happened in October of last year. And the response of that is as positive. We're waiting for now finalizing the agreement. Now, the agreement uh, of the making sure that the court date has been set, it's a matter that is led by the um, liquidator himself. Uh, plus account because the court has given the liquidator opportunity. This is where the liquidator, they said to us, the, the six locals that are in the country, commission them right now. They said, you can go ahead and commission them so that by the time we finalize this thing, you already have a locals that are still in South Africa that you can access to. So that process of, of commissioning is now being undertaken, as I understand it. So, so the six logos are now going to go through this test that uh, this is commissioning so that they, we can have quick access to them. But we don't have uh, a leadership role with respect to the court date because this is the date that is now being uh, driven or led by the uh, liquidator themselves. So that's uh, the date that we now have that we know that they're going to be approaching the high court is April to make sure that uh, the date is now set. Up, and up until now, uh, at the moment, we, our hands are tied. We can't uh, uh, lead on this particular question, but we, we're happy to give you a feedback because it won't be a committee then. We're happy to give you a feedback in terms of the time frame, in terms of ensuring that we get actual to, to court. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Ramatlane. Um, yeah, you'd actually already told us about your trip to Spain and so on. So we were already aware of that um, draft agreement. And um, so, you know, that was some months ago. It's five months since October. Um, and sure, the, the process may be in the hands of the liquidator, but the longer it takes, the better off the liquidator is, no doubt. But the money, 2.7 billion, is ours. And so, so I, I would expect Prasa to be putting huge pressure on the liquidator to get this thing going. Um, so, so I would urge Prasa to do that, not sit back and say, well, this process is with the liquidator, there's nothing we can do. I'm afraid I don't buy that. Um, there's a great deal of pressure you can put on the liquidator and, and to get this, this thing going. Um, because there's not just the question of, of our money already paid for the incorrectly specced locos, but uh, it's the money we pay for leasing, as I understand it from you, that um, is additional cost. So, Mr. Chairman, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just unfortunate that Prasa is such a mess and, um, and costs the taxpayer so much. I mean, if Prasa were a mess and it didn't cost the taxpayer anything, it would be one matter, but it would cost the commuters of South Africa hugely. And um, and 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 as everyone has already, or a number of people have already said this morning, um, commuters are paying much more for commuting than they should be. And and that's a consequence of the state capture and and the malfeasance and corruption that's taken place in Prasa over a long time. 
Um, and, and we just don't seem to be able to get on top of it in any degree of haste. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, and thank you to the PRASA team for their presentation. As, as, um, as, as, as critical as I am, I, I have to accept that uh, they are doing um, what they can. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Liz. Honorable Samia, over to you. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Members, the Chairperson of the Board and the, uh, his uh, team. Um, based on the uh, number of things which have been identified as part of the annual report, uh, we have uh, had time out to just see what it means in terms of, the, of that report, even before the report, uh, we could look into it. We could attest to the fact that uh, the chair of the board, indeed, you, you face an uphill challenge uh, in terms of sustainability uh, of, uh, of PRASA. And, and the report says it all, uh, that, that uh, the, the effort to resolve uh, the matters uh, in, in realizing your financial viability is a bit up, up here because it, that, that is based on the foundings uh, uh, by, by, the, by the Auditor General. That being the case, uh, it is being amplified as well by the uh, costed vandalism, uh, which is go, going beyond 3.6 billion rand uh, in terms of the, of the report against uh, what you could realize in terms of, of your fair revenue, which is a, a 0.9 billion rand, as, as something which as somewhat is eating into your own uh, viability uh, as, an, as, an, as an entity. Uh, the depth in terms of your capital uh, spending, uh, which has been uh, itself uh, reduced to 1.3 billion rand. Those figures attest to a, a, a task uh, that you have at hand uh, to ensure that uh, the PRASA you run, the PRASA you strategically uh, seek to see, uh, proceeds in a way uh, which is going to assist uh, South Africans uh, who ought to travel and goods who ought to travel through uh, your own chain uh, has got such kind uh, of attendance. And the last thing which uh, uh, is uh, at your radar is the instability which has been uh, as well uh, be spoken about and which the minister uh, last week uh, spoke on uh, of your both the uh, actual operational and executive leadership uh, in the institution. And, and that, that affects your sustainability. And you can all add a number of other things, the security uh, of your infrastructure, which, which uh, is something that you must uh, somewhat trouble yourselves uh, with. But beyond that, um, uh, having those uh, uh, comments uh, uh, at, at hand, I would, I would really want to pitch a form of how are you going to improve your standard of performance going forward uh, and follow uh, a trend of an outlook of a well-improved oiled uh, machinery uh, at uh, Prasa to realize uh, your sustainability uh, in terms of uh, uh, financial uh, viability. 
uh, that was the key uh, uh, for me uh, going forward. I'm asking this question, uh, having uh, realized your efforts uh, in building a broken institution and uh, how, as a board, we have started to push forward uh, that kind of an effort, something which I really uh, hail your leadership on uh, into ensuring that Prasa uh, would move from a zero base uh, in, in terms of credibility uh, into a requisite uh, a base uh, in the eyes of those who ought to benefit from that uh, uh, institution. Uh, that's, that's my first point, Chair. Thank you very much. No, thank you very much, uh, <clears throat> Honorable, uh, Honorable Sonia. I, I I agree with uh, with your uh, uh, engagement and uh, input uh, uh, around these issues that you're raising. The I couldn't have said it better. I mean, the issue around instability is what the board has already uh, identified and said we must stabilize because there's no way we can move forward to Olympic. So I agree with you fully on that particular issue. The issue around infrastructure protection and the security, and um, which is uh, without the security and what we need to do, we would not make the headway going forward. That's why the, the, the issue around the security as a cluster, as an integrated cluster is key to success and changing the, 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 the trajectories of, of, of Prasa going forward. Um, the, the, the performance, I think that the issue around the performance and the issues that we talked about earlier on, and then performance that includes the, the sufficiently skilled personnel is uh, things that we are driving currently. So, and I think, Honorable uh, Sonia, uh, that by the time we get back to the other discussion later, we could say um, as the board and management, we have uh, stabilized this aspect. And this aspect that we have stabilized is the issue about these skills, this level of uh, management that has to be, that must be agile to what we want to, to, to do. This performance in terms of the uh, income uh, generation of, because that presupposes that we already have introduced number of trains that must run to generate some of this income. So these are the things that we, we worry about and we busy ourselves around. So I can't uh, necessarily waste time with your intervention around that issue. Yes, we, we, we have to do that. Yes, we have to <laughs> fix the brokenness that we, we already have. And we have done something going forward in terms of that. It may not be sufficient, but the building blocks are there for us to be able to continue going forward. And um, all I can say is uh, we would, we, with you, uh, watching the space in terms of what we're promising we can deliver, uh, that you will see uh, as we progress into this uh, particular year. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, um, uh, Honourable Chair, uh, th thanks uh, uh, to the chairperson of the uh, of the board. Um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm sure indeed that's, that's, that's one of your areas uh, of focus. Uh, when have you set yourselves, because we're talk, we've been talking about this uh, area of agents and so forth, uh, to ensure that at least your own establishment in terms of your fully fledged uh, executive structure uh, that would have fulfilled uh, that kind of a founding? Uh, where, where, what sort of time frames, timelines do you have uh, on, your, on the appointments, especially uh, on the areas of uh, executives? Because the agency lies at that point. Because if, if you have to succeed, you must set the discipline uh, of those employees. PRASA is a very uh, huge uh, organization. Uh, without the permanent uh, employees at the executive level, you are still going to have problems in terms of the discipline in, in all aspects. And, and therefore, your timelines it becomes uh, very critical to ensure that at least your CEO structure has been fulfilled fully and that those who are accountable to the, the CEO are them, themselves uh, in full operational uh, capability. Do you have, do you have timelines around, around such? And if, if there are timelines, uh, can you avail those timelines to us so that we could uh, as well uh, push you on the basis of your own uh, timelines to ensure that at least those positions uh, are filled uh, as, as quickly as possible? Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Sonia. The quick ones, um, and I, I, I think that perhaps the uh, what we will have to do is to give uh, to submit to you uh, the detailed plan around this issue, including the filling of vacant position. That we will submit to you so that at least you can you can keep us accountable on the basis of what we said we're going to do. Um, the board uh, of Plaza approved the broad structure in terms of the restructuring of Plaza. Um, uh, business uh, design uh, in terms of how it should look like. That was done by the board. Now what uh, it has been done, the, the management in the form of the, um, the, the GCO is to subject this, what is the structure, to some uh, fundies of the uh, structures or putting together structures to make sure that we are not missing the point. That process needs to have been finalized by now, by April. It should be finalized so that when we start a new financial year, we have a new structure. That is in terms of whatever happens in terms of how we're going to then be able to rationalize it is another matter altogether, because that will have to include the union in terms of the structure itself. But this is where we, we say we now need finality on the structure. In the beginning of uh, the new financial year, we must have that particular structure. Then, the, because we've already agreed to it, once we have finalized that particular aspect, is basically to do a, a quick consultation because the, the, uh, uh, <clears throat> the shareholder, in terms of this, will have to at least uh, have some consultation with the PRASA board on the, on, the, on, the look, on the outlook forward in terms of what we're looking at. So that has to happen also immediately in, in April, so that at least we get support of the new structure that we then have to start implementing. It, and then of course, the all the other 
executive position that has been that has been advertised. Uh, we we don't want to go beyond uh, three months to do the work of the uh, uh, advertising, interviewing, and appointment. So everything that we need to do has to be condensed down in terms of the time. On the issue of the GCO, we would appoint, uh, get to the point of recommending within 90 days. We need to do that in 90 days so that at least we have a stability. This is what we did before with the, uh, the former GCO. Uh, we will do it again. But maybe to complete this picture, uh, Honorable Sonia, is to make it, give you a commitment that we will send you the, the this whole plan that you can see it in, on paper, uh, so that at least you can then keep us account based on the report, the report that we have. I've already made that commitment to Honorable Hadeve earlier on that we will submit that for the completion, so that at least you can see what we are promising, what we are doing. And then thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, Chair. A right to that would be would be that maybe as part of that report, which are going to forward to us, us identify a very critical assertion of a ratio between your core staff establishment in terms of your operation and and those who are. Um, of a support nature uh, to uh, the realization uh, of your core business. Uh, so we should, should need to have some form of a balance between those. And, and uh, uh, taking from what the, the minister has availed to us on, on ghosts, uh, which go to more than 3,000, uh, maybe you could uh, set up some sort of a, a variable uh, on those uh, uh, instances in terms of establishment uh, of the core and and the uh, uh, the support uh, frame on those uh, areas is that possible, Chair? Uh, thank you very much, Honourable. So I can't say it's impossible. Uh, this is what the model, uh, the uh, business model, should be able to tell us. What are the core function of Prasa? We've already spoken about it, and what is the second uh, the second objective in terms of our generation of money? It has to follow that because otherwise, if it doesn't follow that, it's not necessarily good. The model is not going to achieve results. But it is possible to give you what we have and give you what we already have seen as a way forward. It may not necessarily be complete because of the time of submission, and the time of finalization are basically two different times. But we will share with you what we have already at the moment in terms of going forward, what is going to be helpful for the process going forward. But I think we, 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 will, we will share that uh, with you because um, obviously we must be transparent because you are helping us to solve the problem. May may come out as a robust, but you are helping us in the main. I did say that already, and we would like to accept to take it uh, the chain to take it as it comes, because it comes with the with the with the responsibility. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank, thank you, Chair. The last thing from me, uh, Prof. That this goes to the acting uh, uh, CEO. 
Um, I, I am from the Eastern Cape. Um, one of our biggest townships there, which is uh, second uh, in the country in Tanzania, uh, it's serviced uh, through the, your operations. Uh, and I would find out in the last two weeks, uh, your, your systems were silent. Uh, at a time when people are hit hard by these uh, uh, fuel increases, uh, there's no train movement. There's a uh, accumulatively, uh, you see, you, you know, packed uh, units um, of your coaches uh, in the main station uh, in East London. Uh, and and they, as well, locomotives which are there themselves uh, not in motion, uh, which tells a story uh, about the effects uh, of failure. Uh, of uh, both maintenance and as well the forward looking in terms of your own systems. So I, I, I wanted just to find out from the sea uh, what are uh, the uh, operational uh, hindrances which are there in terms of seeing uh, your locals and and uh, carriages in line uh, to serve our people at the time of need. Uh, in that uh, in that area, the same story, uh, even in PE. Uh, if you could uh, look into the operationness uh, of your systems, thank you, thank you, Chair. That was my last my last point. Thank you, David. Can you please answer that question, Chair? Thank you, and and thank you, Honourable Somia. Uh, so, Eastern Cape, a, a bit of a, a different dynamic in that. The infrastructure that that we have both in PE and East London side belongs to Transnet. So the maintenance and the upkeep of that infrastructure, we rely on Transnet to 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 keep it up for us to run a service. So they are going through rough times, uh, uh, and they are as much in un, under siege as we we are from that infrastructure. That's the first point. Second second point is that. We, we relied on, on these locals in those environments, uh, and, and they came from, from Transnet. Unfortunately, in the relationship that we have, uh, due to, 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 to money uh, disputes, they pulled out the locals, which then meant we grounded our, our train sets in there. Do we have access to locals at the moment? Not, not as yet. Are we working on a solution to get the, 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 the locals in that environment? Yes, we are. So we have engaged with a, a service provider at the moment that can give us uh, the locals to send down so we can start running uh, the service back, back in the environment. At least that diesel, as we said, will allow us to service our people at the very least in the morning and in the afternoon uh, peak hours. So we are working on that and we should be able to finalize that in, in, in the next, next couple of weeks. But unfortunately, uh, Transnet pulled out on their locals and they didn't want to hear anything and we couldn't agree on that. But as far as the infrastructure is concerned, we're staying close uh, to Transnet. We are in discussion around how do we then uh, uh, access that environment in a manner that will allow a commuter uh, service to run parallel uh, uh, freight, freight uh, um, uh, services. So we are engaging at that level, but right now they've taken their, their, their locals 
which has grounded our service in there. So we are working very hard to get the service back in there on, on Robosomia. Thank you, Chair. So you are paying people without uh, work in the in the area for a couple of days, couple of weeks. It unfortunately uh, uh, put us in that environment. We never thought uh, Transnet would do that to us. Uh, and we have to do this while we find an alternative, unfortunately, on Rob Somia. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that uh, you are doing something about it. Uh, uh, because, because indeed people uh, are learned of that service. Uh, and and uh, some form of information uh, must get quicker uh, to them so that they should understand when you come back, you come back in a sustained way uh, and, and you bring trust uh, to your own system, uh, to our own communities. Uh, I'm, I'm asking this without uh, understanding of your challenges. Uh, because having two institutions who are running the same service brings problems. Uh, you know, to harmonize uh, such operations at a very difficult time itself brings in uh, some form of difficulties. But in the front of it all, unfortunately, it's yourselves. So we'll blame you uh, because uh, in front of this whole thing will be Prasa. And, and then the story is not uh, fully told. That no, 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 it's not Prasa alone in this kind of environment. Uh, there's Transnet as well, who is giving uh, these uh, forms uh, of, uh, of, of challenges in terms uh, of passenger uh, rail. So, so I would uh, really plead uh, for uh, improving your, your own communication uh, so that it is fully known and understood uh, where uh, these uh, challenges uh, are otherwise accepted. Uh, your explanation. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Chair of the Board and the Acting CEO. Thank you very much. All right. Um, thank you very much, um, colleagues. Right. I hope there are no, well, not hope, they got no indication of other hands. Um, I think this is probably the longest hearing we've, uh, we've had, and I think it's been very comprehensive. I'd like to thank uh, Honorable Feminine and Honorable Hattebe who've laid the foundation uh, for us to engage on this matter. And of course, the questions by the colleagues have been helpful. There's just one area on my part, and then we will call it a day. I think this needs um, to us to, 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 to speak to, because it was raised uh, to us by the board uh, in January, and the minister spoke to it last week. It's the details around Operation Zivers. And of course, the fact that we have now some 3,000 um, identified persons who um, are ghost workers at uh, 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 Prasa, the board had indicated that when we deal with the annual report, they would want to deal with this matter then. So I think um, let us go to that, how far uh, Operations Rivers has gone. Uh, and what plans are now in place to, amongst others, deal with the issue of ghost workers. But the second point is the recoveries of monies lost by PRASA and if by extension the state um, and the consequence management in this regard. And 
the areas around HR, uh, also noting the fact that the AG has made findings in that space as well. I think it is important that we get a, an action plan insofar as um, PRAS are dealing with that matter. Of course, that should be part and parcel of what Operations Ives is actually talking about uh, and dealing with. Um, and um, to say, is this process still ongoing to sort of safeguard the integrity of the payroll of um, PRASA and the assessments that are being done therein. So I think it is important that we go to the issues um, around that um, because, of course, the board, as I've said, had committed to deal with it when we deal with the annual report and um, it is a matter which um, we, we we need to tie down on um, on that one. So I just think, can we get a, an update on that and a briefing on that and then we will be good to go. Thank you, Honorable, <coughs> Honorable Chair uh, Shengwa. The, the quick quick way um, of dealing with this part um, is the action plan that we, we need to, to share with you in terms of where we were and where we are at the moment. Um, at the moment, <coughs> maybe if uh, uh, David could deal with this briefly, but we did promise that we'll come back and and report to the scope about this. We, at the phase one of the identification or the implementation of the project Civilizer, uh, 3,000 uh, workforce did not teach to collect their salary. When we, the last time we reported in the media, we said everybody has been asked to come forward with their manager and the supervisor where they work to come and get their salary, and 3,000 of these workforce failed to arrive. Uh, they didn't come to collect their money. So from the phase one, we then go, we're then going now into the phase two. I think the phase two is where I think the, where we are now drilling down on the individuals and what has happened that uh, maybe David could then start from there, go into that including the action plan that we would probably just need to share uh, going forward, uh, that we can use it as a measure of this. Because the second phase is a phase that would now require forensic and that will require the issue that uh, crime, criminal uh, 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 police must get involved in it because it's going to be drilling down into where did the money go into for those who did not come and collect it in the past? So that is going to be where the police need to get involved. But maybe, um, Honorable Shangwa, if I could just ask uh, David to finalize this in terms of where we are at the moment and what are the next things that is going to happen with the project service and the recovery issue or the recovery of the money that uh, the AG spoke about, all of that, uh, those two things that are very important. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Chair. Quickly, a quick brief on that. Uh, as you highlighted, we, we've gone past uh, phase one. We're running three phases. We're now in phase two, where we, we're now analyzing out of these people that have not done physical verification, signed off by their managers, a uh, few things that we're looking into. One is identification. Uh, uh, whether they identified South African, two, whether or not 
Uh, do they have permits to 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 be in the country or or, or not? If they if they're not South Africans, and and three, uh, we've got uh, just under I think under a two thousand where we we're seeing there is no evidence of physical verification in one way or another, and we're looking into these individuals and going into the system and looking at when were they registered, who loaded them in the system for salary purposes, so that we can then one look at the source of 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 this activity that looks uh, uh, fraudulent and two the date at which when they were loaded will give us uh, an indication and quantify how much money was was being looted in that in that space and also then also activate and make sure that they, we cut we cut them out when we have quantified uh, uh, the money and also find the associated individuals, whether they are in the systems or not, those that loaded these individuals in the system. We hand that over in phase three to the police, one for fraud, two for identity uh, issues uh, uh, and, and investigation with the SIU around that, because it could be a racket or a syndicate that we, we, we don't know. So we are in phase two, we analyze in that. Where we are, I can I can highlight a few things that are popping up in the moment without jeopardizing our our analysis and investigation going forward in phase two. We already have got sixty two uh, uh, foreign nationals. Uh, in the in those sixty two others uh, have got fraudulent identity. They need to be handed over to 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 Home Affairs to deal with, uh, and the police as well. Others have got expired permits or no existence of work permits at all. So those two we need we, we will need to, to to deal with as well, and that's automatic exclusion out of out of out of the system and salary bill. But then again, we need to go and dig out who loaded them, when, and what is the associated beneficiaries on the other side from a banking point of view. So we can then take these people to task. Once we complete with this, we're going to hand over that entire report, depending on identity theft. Uh, commercial uh, fraud uh, uh, and also ordinary fraud, and also in, including internal processes and non-compliance as well. And then we deal with it. So there'll be internal uh, processes uh, depending on what pops out of that analysis, and there will be then uh, criminal criminal activities, including identity from a home affairs to deal with this. But we also need then to go and dig out from a from a forensic point of view on what what feather underneath here is happening within the organisation as part of the cleanup. Let me summarize it there, Chair. Thank you. All right. Um, no, thanks. But I, 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 I don't get a sense that from when we last spoke on this matter in January that uh, we are, that there's some sort of construct or concrete uh, modus operandi to deal with this. It's still very theoretical. Um, so I think um, without belaboring the point, can we get monthly reports on operations events um, in terms of the progress that has been made to deal with the, the issues um, contained therein? because the the matter is very serious um, because it speaks to a lot of things. It speaks to internal controls. It speaks to audit. Um, it speaks to the functionality 
um, of HR. And of course, we, you know, the decentralization of the operations of Transnet may lend to some of these uh, problems. And so one is mind is mindful of that. But it's you're dealing with 3,000 at this point, you know, persons. That's a huge amount of money, uh, which has been lost by um, Prasa. And um, it, it's, it's not accidental that those people are on the payroll. Um, and, and so we really need to, you know, move with a particular sense of speed and urgency. And so that is why I had assumed that, not assumed actually, but that is why I'd expected something far more concrete because uh, we, it was a matter raised in January and we had indicated that we deal with it when we deal with the annual report. But be that as it may, um, let's get um, those monthly reports on, on, on progress um, in this regard. <clears throat> I think maybe the, the final point uh, I would like to make is we 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 we've been uh, of course making the observation that there is a syndicated play uh, to derail the operations of Prasa uh, in one way or the other. If you just look at all the variables combined of how organised um, some of the vandalism. Uh, and looting uh, at Prasa infrastructure sites is concerned. And one continues to be concerned at the capacity of the intelligence services. But there have been arrests uh, of foreign nationals, um, particularly linked to Zimbabwe, over the past few days with regards to the rail infrastructure uh, on, 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 you know, those metal um, uh, you know, metals of the train, of the train tracks uh, being found in trucks to be taken over uh, the border. So I, I think th this matter continues to require attention. Uh, but of course, there's the sensitivities of uh, 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 language use and one must not be characterized as xenophobic. Um, but the, the threat to national infrastructure remains one of critical concern. And the question then becomes whether there is any, uh, and I suppose the minister may help here, any discussions with um, foreign governments, particularly in the SADC region, uh, to push back on the frontiers of this, uh, what I syndicate, for lack of a better phrase. It was quite clearly it's very organized. Um, and... Um, there has to be some sort of diplomatic intervention, you know, notwithstanding tightening border control. Uh, Honorable Hadwe made reference to the Bait Bridge border post fence, which was a total sham uh, and, and the height of uh, corruption um, insofar as infrastructure is concerned during COVID-19 procurement. But clearly something has to give. And it cannot just be 
a you know a, a discussion where we tread carefully without the necessary uh, diplomatic interventions uh, to have collaboration and cooperation of uh, inter-country um, security agencies to deal with this thing. Because if the visuals of the past few days are anything to go by, I've got a sense that it's a drop in the ocean that has been found in comparison to what has made it across the border. So I think that is also a discussion that we, we must have. But I really think, Minister, if there's any insight you can give as to whether these are discussions that are taking place um, so that we, 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 we can actually, um, you know, close rank on this syndicate from all fronts um, because the, the infrastructure of the country is at risk um, as things stand there. So I just wanted to make that point. If there's a comment from the minister, um, is at liberty at this point to make it and also invite him to make um, concluding remarks when he takes the floor. Tola, over to you. Uh, thank you, Chair, uh, and members of the committee. Uh, I will be very brief. Uh, thank the committee and the PRASA executives. Last time when I was here with PRASA, it was very bad. Uh, the board could not count to SCOPA. The management executive was at sea. Um, Chair, uh, Prasa is still a mess. Um, I would have wanted to give you a better report today. Um, I'm not in a good spirit. Um, and I've made that very clear to the board and the management of Prasa. Uh, I, I, I would have thought we will be far in making and stamping our authority in terms of a whole lot of things we need to do. But it doesn't mean that work is not being done. Uh, but they sluggish. And sometimes decisiveness doesn't come out impressively. Stamping authority and showing that uh, we're getting somewhere. We know the problem. Praza is a uh, uh, capital-intensive company. If you don't resolve procurement, you're dead. You deal with money, there are billions every day. And we cannot afford to lose even a cent. When you are a manager at Prasa, and this is what I've impressed in my interaction with the board, that they fix this. And Honorable Khadebe was asking a question. And the lease and the other members earlier on uh, and so on to say that uh, these people who have uh, had these problems in terms of procurement, what have you done about them? The question that is not answered <laughs> very clearly. You know, at Prasa, I got uh, to sign concurrence of two billion rand for a contract. And when uh, we looked into that, uh, we found that there was a lot of corruption, not corruption, but from, from the same people who are awarding tenders there, we sent it back. 
We didn't sign Volmatin. And I asked a question to the former CEO, uh, what action are you taking to these people who are bring, who, who are perpetuating the storyline of uh, fruitless expenditure, awarding of big contracts without checking and all of that? And maybe the board is addressing this issue, some of these issues, but these are the questions and the things we, we ask. And we get disappointed when people don't act. And uh, you get people and all of that into these positions and uh, the result, it becomes different. Um, but we have an opportunity with this board, with all the knowledge they've got and ourselves. Uh, I think at the end of the year should be different uh, from now you should get a better report and follow up on the issues that we have raised. Even ourselves, we will, we will make a follow-up. Zivaze is one of the things I said, we have ghost workers. What you do where you've got ghost workers, you don't philosophize, you institute forensic. You bring the police immediately. You, 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 you head straight to it. You go head on. You have identified the crime, you are sitting on it. <laughs> you know, you, you, there is a big process and all of that. You are sitting with 3,000 people who could not come and say, I work here, and you stop their salaries, they don't come. I work at government, somebody stops my salary, and I don't get paid from December last year, I don't report. There, there is a crime. Clearly, what is the crime there that you need to investigate? And it needs experts. You can spend money on that. Scopa and the AG will understand and treasury. Those who manage Prasa must understand. You wipe this thing out of the system. You've got people with no matriculant and qualifications at Prasa. You've got people with fake IDs at Prasa. You've got people who can come forward and account. Where do they work? It's clear you are dealing with a scam. How do you deal with a scam? You, 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 you employ all the, 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 the things that you need to employ to investigate. When you come to Scopa, you don't say to Scopa when Scopa is asking a question, what are you doing about this thing? You say, Chair, I've instituted forensic. I'll give you a report in 48 hours. That's it. We are working on it. And then we know that uh, we'll get the report. And that is what, Chair, I understood you to be saying. So sometimes I, I get frustrated. We are not working with this place called Prasa like it's a mess and we are in a crisis. And uh, when you deal with those things, we've got to be convincing. Uh, we cannot afford to lose even a cent now at Prasa, given the fact of our fiscus and the fact that this company is running on fiscus generally. Now, when it is not supposed to be, and um, in the turnaround, we need to understand that. So if we don't exercise this criminal element, uh, this uh, all of these things, then we're not going to make a dent. And I, I, I hope, Chair, our report will be different uh, when we come before Scopa. If it is not, I will be the first to admit that we failed and we failed our people. I don't want to sugarcoat failure. I'm not part of failure and I will never claim easy victories. Where there are difficulties, we have already admitted that Prasa is a difficult place. There's no point to overemphasize. South Africa knows that 
This is a mess. It's a corrupt place. It is there in the reports. The job of the board is to undo that, and it cannot be done over a year or so. But our reports on the basics must be different. And, uh, uh, and, and that is it. I'm very disappointed with the past year in particular from a management point of view. And uh, we've promised here that uh, uh, vacancies will be closed, uh, an organogram must come, the board must deliver on that. And uh, there's no point for me to have a beef with the board, but I can promise you that in terms of the board and delinquents, we'll deal with that like I promised you last time. Uh, I'm not going to have board members who do as they wish and not understand the mission we're about. Uh, we will not repeat the past mistakes of disbanding the board, but uh, those who are doing well and steering the ship in the, in the right direction uh, must continue with the work because this thing of chop and changing uh, also doesn't work. Uh, we need to fill up the vacancies. I hope we finalize the arbitration issues and all the suspensions. They might not take quick, I understand that perfectly, where people are suspended. You have people who are suspended at Prasa, they are running away from disciplinary action. So you can't blame the board, uh, and, and, but the board must take measures. When you are supposed to, attend, to, to, to appear before the DC and the person run away as an employee, but continue to, um, to get, I mean, people are getting paid huge sums of money and there is disciplinary pending on them, they just disappear in the system. And then uh, you ask a report, what happened to so-and-so and their cases? No, they are not reporting for DC. Can't be business as usual. It cannot be. So uh, I think uh, SCOPA uh, work is understood and it's not to come here and ask for favors. Uh, uh, and I think we've got to do our job. And uh, this job must be done and be done decisively. COVID is, is down now uh, in terms of regulations and all of that. We've got a breather and a space to operate. And uh, to, to even institute war room, it must be everyday business, this thing, you know. And when we come again, I, I had thought that our report uh, at least will be much better than it is now. Uh, on a whole range of issues I can mention to you. And some of these issues, Chair, has got to do with what the AG is raising. Procurement, procurement, SCM, crisis, accountability, and all of that. So those things must be dealt with decisively in the system. We can remain with others and all of that. Uh, we understand Steidler, the locomotives, all those questions uh, are before us. Um, some of the things will take time because of litigation. We do understand. And I think Scopa will also understand. But on the things which are in our peer view, we've got the authority and the power to change. We must change them. There's no, there's no, <laughs> I normally ask Prasa executives when I go to them, every day when you report at work here, yeah, what do you do in terms of this mess? Because you've got to look at your board and look at the graph. What am I doing today? I said to the former CEO when he report to work, he traveled the whole country. At some point when I was speaking to him, he was at Bifford West. I said, Chief, what are you doing there? Because uh, 
when you come back from Beaufort West, which is five, five hours from Cape Town, the problems of Cape Town will not be resolved. I'm happy now to see uh, in Cape Town recovery of stations. Uh, the NSIP program is being implemented vigorously. If you've got executives who are focused on that job, uh, you, you will get some. When I conclude, we have had uh, an induction meeting with the board of Prasa, and then we asked them. We have addressed corporate governance issues with them. We even invited experts at our own expense, who at the end of the day did not get to be paid to address this issue so that there is no overlap, that the board is the board and the management is the management. We gave full support to this and the delegation of authority should be very clear. We gave them what we call a ministerial shareholder compact, but over and above that, we delivered the transitional, you know, plan that was supposed to be implemented. We went to the portfolio committee with a full corporate plan and all of that, that must be implemented. So that is why I'm saying I'm not where I thought we will be based on all of this and what we committed ourselves to do. Meeting targets like we're organizing a World Cup, you know, getting the trains back. I've been personally involved with the Cape Town Central Line issue and Mabupan. We got Mabupan right, it is running. We're building on that. I've been personally involved with security matters and the plan mobilizing uh, uh, everybody, SSA, all security, uh, and then ensuring that would be, I can tell you right now, we can't rely on only the state. Prasa must give up its own security. That's all. Then you will be able to account and defend what you have. If they don't do that, and with what they've done now, it is proven that uh, I know it is costly, uh, but at the end, people pay for the service. Uh, where they are secured, the service is running on time, and all of that. So without security, at the end, all our plans uh, will fall into nothing. So so I'm, 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 I'm quite edgy where I'm seated, and uh, I think our report should be different. Prasa report need to be different from what it is with, uh, with almost uh, 80% improvement. Some of the things can be changed, uh, should be done, and uh, it needs people and all of that to be employed in the right positions. And uh, that is what, what we need, Chair. Uh, and I'm in full support of uh, the board uh, in executing the plan they, they've committed to implementing. Uh, uh, but I know we can do better than we have done now. Uh, but thank you very much for the opportunity, Chairperson, uh, and members of uh, SCOPA. Thank you. All right. Um, thank you very much, uh, Minister, for the very candid um, conclusion to the <clears throat> realities of Prasa from the perspective uh, which you sit. Um, and I think that um, the board is quite uh, clear about the expectations um, of both parliament and the executive. 
but most importantly, the expectations of the South African public. Um, because the situation obviously is one which does not inspire any confidence and it has to move at a far more quicker pace than what we have seen. Um, I think that there have been a series of uh, appointments uh, preceding this board of persons who have not been equal to the task and the challenges uh, at Prasa, coming from the interim board, which was an absolute disaster when we met with them in parliament, colleagues will remember, the appointment of an administrator, um, and uh, the very short-lived appointment of the uh, CEO. All those factors combined don't bode well for stability. And I think uh, there has to be a renewed focus uh, on stability in the institution to ensure that um, key critical appointments are made consistent with the changes uh, and reconfiguration of structure which is being mooted. Um, because <clears throat> we have to get governance right first at Prasa, and we need to get the business model right so that we can be able to roll out uh, the services in a manner which will do justice to the mandate of Prasa. So I think uh, colleagues, we, in there, I agree with you, Minister. I, I'm certainly not um, uh, satisfied with the reports in so far as uh, Operation Zivese is concerned. And I'm sure that uh, colleagues still had a lot of issues that they wanted to raise arising out of the, uh, the answers that we have received. So on Operation Zivese, we're going to want... Um, a uh, monthly reports on progress thereof. And then what we'll probably do <clears throat> is we're going to uh, give you another <clears throat> three months to sort of get moving with things and then see you as a first uh, priority in the third term of parliament. The next term, the second term will be very short. It will be busy with budgets. Um, and we will, of course, be having hearings of um, entities which are in a similar state. Um, but do stand by for us to call on you at any time, as and when the need arises, but we will probably want to meet again to gauge progress. Colleagues, I think what we will do is the report on PRASA will be completed. I have effectoring in today's meeting. I think it has been very, very helpful so that we can make recommendations. Maybe my request will be that as we go into recess on the constituency days which will be available to us, uh, maybe encourage members to also do oversights and just advise us accordingly so that uh, the Secretariat can assist with the logistics and planning of your oversights to your PRASA, to PRASA uh, facilities uh, near yourselves. Um, and then you can bring in your observations and assessment of those things to form part of uh, the report. I will certainly be visiting facilities here in Guazlu Natal uh, during this recess and constituency period. 
um, because we as a committee have only been to Western Cape uh, and Gauteng so that we've got a fuller uh, picture. So if colleagues uh, need assistance with any of the planning and logistics around an oversight, please do let me know and I will facilitate that with the secretariat uh, so that you can be able to you know, conduct this work on that. Like I've said, PRASA remains a key priority focus uh, for us because it is, in my view, uh, the backbone of this economy. So, um, colleagues, I would really want to thank you very much uh, this morning. I know this may sound like a broken record, but it probably remains true to every entity that appears before us. Shape up or ship out. That's the, it may sound like a slogan, it may sound like a, a refrain, but it has to be inculcated into the daily lived life of administration in the country. So that if people are no longer equal to the task, they say so and allow those that are to take the baton. It is in the national interest for all of us to embody that kind of honesty. So um, the board has our support for so long as it does the right things and moves with the necessary speed and agency and implements decisions and responds to what the AG is saying and ultimately fix PRASA. There is no greater accolade that can be in your resume for the future as having been the board that fixed PRASA. Even if you want to do it from a selfish reason, which was that a personal one, then let's do that. But PRASA must be fixed. And I think next time, let us not come with theoretical responses. Let's come with practical implementation of decisions and policies and the turnaround strategy of a work in progress tangibly and practically. Minister, to you and your team, thank you very much. Uh, colleagues, um, thank you very much. And uh, as always, to the SIU, AG, National Treasury, um, and our Secretariat, as always, Mangazos has been. Salawe Board and your colleagues in the board, acting CEO, and your colleagues in the executive, um, thank you uh, very much. And uh, we hope to uh, meet uh, soon. Uh, Minister, once again, thank you very much. On that note, the meeting stands adjourned. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Recording stopped.